Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Time now for the Character and Smallman podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Clock running, Bama leading by five, showing blitz. Three play. down. Yep, Alabama was offside, so here's a deep throw to the end zone. And it is caught for a touchdown by A.D. Mitchell. Out of the gun, Young. Takes an inside handoff to Robinson. Throws to the near side. Intercepted at the 21-yard line. And Keely Ringo bringing it back across midfield. Across the 30. Inside the 20. Ringo scores! Georgia has won the national championship with their school record 14th win of the season. First time they've ever won 14 in a game, and they win the national title for the second time. Congratulations to Kirby Smart and the Bulldogs. A 33-18 win over Alabama last night in the college football playoff championship game. And good morning, everyone. Welcome to Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN at 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning, Randy. I think I can hear people barking all the way from the state of Georgia from here in St. Louis. Yeah, good for them. The last time they won a national championship, Herschel Walker was a freshman in college, and now Herschel Walker is running for Senate. So it's been a minute (laughs) since Georgia has been national champions. And, you know, I questioned the move of hiring Kirby Smart, who had never been a head coach before, getting rid of Mark Richt, who had led them to a lot of championship games in the SEC. But they made the right move. And Kirby Smart has built a terrific program there, obviously, when you're winning championships. But when you can beat Alabama, you in a championship game, that means that you have figured things out. And Kirby and the, the Bulldogs have figured things out. And that was still a game in the final minute. You heard the Keely Ringo 79-yard interception return for a touchdown. And that wound up providing what wound up being the 33rd point for Georgia. But if Alabama is able to score in the final minute, we could have had overtime. Yeah, we could have. But fitting that it was Georgia's defense that put this one away because that's been their calling card the entire season. But Kirby Smart, what an unbelievable job that he's done with Georgia. And even Nick Saban afterwards, this is only the second time one of his former assistants has beaten him. Obviously, the other time coming just this season. But I don't know if you heard Nick Saban's comments after the game, but he's like, if if anybody's going to beat me, I'm kind of glad that it's Kirby Smart. Somebody who's given so much to this program and someone who really deserves it. Kirk Herbstreet of ESPN on the building of this program by Kirby Smart. He's done a great job recruiting, great job developing and, and, and building a culture. These guys in the world that we live in with name, image, and likeness and transfer portal, this team laser focus on one thing. 
avenging that loss in Atlanta and winning a championship and getting on that podium. That's it. And that, that's what you really have to appreciate. And a lot of that comes from the leadership from your seniors and your juniors, the guys that have been around. And they were fortunate to have a lot of those kind of players. But there is a culture here that's unique. Alabama has a very similar culture. And there's, it's not by accident these two teams ended up playing tonight for the championship. Michelle, the big difference is that you will never, ever, 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 ever see a walk-on quarterback at Alabama. <laughs> Never. <I know. laughs> Tim, the captain, Stetson Bennett, who with a name like that deserves to be a national champion, yeah. a former walk-on, uh, not as as decorated as a lot of his teammates, but I just love, I love seeing the emotion out of him last night. And you're right, you're not going to see that at Alabama. But really, are you, are you, surprised you see that at Georgia because I am I mean with, I am, with yeah. all of the stars that they have four and five star recruits that come through those halls it's amazing that it's a former walk-on in Stenson Bennett that's a guy that finally gets it done for them well and they had a big time transfer from USC and JT Daniels sitting on the bench this is a program that has recruited a couple of top five in the nation quarterbacks over the course of the last half dozen years including Justin Fields who's now in the NFL and yeah you would think that a five-star quarterback oh yeah i want to go to georgia and they do but stetson bennett the preferred walk-on is the guy that gets the job that wins the national championship now it wasn't all easy sunshine lollipops for stetson bennett last night he was dropping back to throw under pressure from alabama fumble in the fourth quarter that led to the alabama go-ahead score as uh the alabama quarterback uh Justin Fields, or I'm sorry, Justin Fields, yeah, Bryce Young, hit Cameron Latou for the touchdown to make it 18-13. So after that turnover that allows Alabama to score, what is Bennett thinking? I knew that once I fumbled the ball, I was not going to be the reason we lost this game. And, you know, Coach Monk dialed up awesome play action. You know, we had been running the ball a lot, um, and I think we went, you know, three straight play action and then one, um, one deep ball. That we got them to jump off sides because they've been timing up the snap a lot. Um, but you know, it's it's the it's the thing that Coach Smart and the whole team have been preaching the whole year: resiliency, toughness, composure, you know, connection. And I knew that those guys beside me had my back, and I had their back too. And the throws that he made for the lead score to Mitchell, and then the the insurance score to Bowers, both great throws. But that's what you need in a championship team is when something like that happens to say this is not going to be the reason we lose this game. We saw that with the Blues. Hand pass, no problem. Mm -hmm. Whatever happens, it doesn't matter. We're still going to win. And that is exactly what Kirk Herbstreit was talking about. That is a culture that you develop when on the biggest stage, your quarterback has a moment like that and he's not panicked. He's not stressed out. He's not crumbling. He's thinking, it doesn't matter. This is not going to be the reason we lose this game. We're going to find a way to win. And that's exactly what they did. Now, one of the things that Alabama, amazingly, is built on in 2022 is an explosive offense. They were already missing John Mechie, uh, who came into the season as their number one wide receiver. And then during the game, they lost the receiver that became their number one when Mechie got hurt, St. Louis and Jamison Williams out of Cardinal Ritter. Obviously not having those guys hurts, but Jamison Williams apparently tearing an ACL is bigger than Alabama losing the game. Yeah, that's his future being impacted. That's him losing potential money as far as his draft status is concerned. And we were talking about this before the show, Randy. 
Of course, you never want to see any player injured, but Jameson Williams, the St. Louis product, he's been on the show with us. We obviously are cheering for him. I hate when they have to show the replay over and over and over, and you clearly know it's a detrimental injury. And just watching his knee turn in that way mm-hmm. and having to see the replay was awful last night. So thoughts and prayers to him, obviously. And right now, the sports books have Alabama as the favorite to win next year's championship. Would you bet against them? That's kind of evergreen, isn't it? It is, yeah. <laughs> well, it doesn't matter who wins the national championship. Looking forward to the next year, Alabama's going to sit at that top spot. And the fact that you have Justin Fields coming back. Now, I have a Bryce thought. Bryce Young. Uh, Bryce Young. Why, why do I keep saying Justin I don't Fields? know. I don't, I don't know. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Justin Fields is not coming back to Alabama. No, I would hope not. Bryce Young is coming back. And apparently they're going to lose their offensive coordinator, Bill O'Brien, to the NFL. I was thinking last night, give me, I got two thoughts here. Number one, Nick Saban's offensive coordinator at Miami with the Dolphins was a current Mizzou analyst and former St. Louis Rams head coach, Scott Linehan. Huh. Or his quarterback's coach with the Dolphins, who has more recent offensive coordinator and overall responsibility duties, Jason Garrett. I would not be at all surprised if Linehan or Garrett wind up as the offensive coordinator at Alabama next year. But isn't this par for the course with Nick Saban? Yeah. Is that whether it's five-star talent or uh, part of his coaching staff that gets poached as soon as he goes mm-hmm. to another slash sometimes wins another national title, all they do is reload. And it's a it's a desirable job for mm-hmm. guys to leave the NFL and go to Alabama. And you can't really say that about a lot of other college programs, but just to be with Saban and get the residue of Saban and winning on you, it's a nice reset for a lot of guys. And Doug Marone right now is their offensive line coach, former head coach of the Jaguars and the Bills. And it's not like you're using it as a stepping stone. Sarkeesian did to go to Texas. But offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator at Alabama, stepping stone to the NFL head coaching jobs. Yeah, it's right there. So Alabama falls to Georgia 33 to 18. The Blues off today until Thursday when the Seattle Kraken come to town. And a couple of more guys wind up in COVID protocols yesterday. Braden Shen and Colton Pareko. Remember when we said we needed to make the list? Of mm-hmm. guys who had not gone into the COVID protocols yeah. yet because it was coming. We knew that this was going to happen. It was just a matter of time. It seems like every person on the team is going to have to deal with this at some point this season. It's a real bummer. I believe Jake Wallman is the only defenseman now that hasn't dealt with COVID during this season. And by the way, we'll mention this again. There's only one player in the NHL that isn't vaccinated. Right. So every single one of these cases with the Blues is a breakthrough case. And if... I'm understanding this correctly. If you are testing positive and you get it, you're not going to get it for at least a a period of time. Mm -hmm. So if I'm the Blues, as annoyed as I am about this situation that all of my guys are continuously testing positive, I'm glad it's happening now and not when it comes playoff time. Silver linings. I'm just trying to be positive. If, If it's going to happen at some point this season, better now than in a few months. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and we're off and running here on 101 ESPN. Coming up. As the playoffs approach, what NFL quarterbacks do we have faith in and what wins do we not have faith in? That's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
the NFL playoffs next weekend, and you'll hear a lot of the action here on 101 ESPN. A couple of games on Saturday, a triple header on Sunday, and then Monday night, you've got the Rams and the Cardinals in the St. Louis Bowl in the playoffs. And all of the quarterbacks obviously deserve credit for getting their teams to the quarter to the playoffs, Michelle. But as we look at the quarterbacks, I've put a level of confidence points next to my guys, and I have some guys that I really have very little confidence in heading into a playoff season, which is interesting because normally when you have a team that makes the playoffs in the NFL, you say, oh, they must have had great quarterback play. This is kind of a weird year. They they have had good quarterback play, but because of the change in the nature of quarterback play, for me, it's harder to judge them than it has been in the past. So should we go down the list? Yeah, sure. We have a list here. I'll just go ahead and throw a name out, Randy, okay. and you can tell me confidence or not. Okay. Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is number one for me with 14 confidence points. Of all the quarterbacks, I have him at the top of my list. I would agree with that. If you need to win in a big moment I, and you have to pick somebody to get the ball, Aaron Rodgers will likely get it done. Yeah. And by the way, it's just natural here. It wasn't part of the instructions. But part of what I'm looking at, too, is who the guys have to throw to. Mm -hmm. Because you aren't going to be a good quarterback if you don't have surrounding talent. Jalen Hurts is in trouble because he just doesn't have a lot of talent to throw to with Philadelphia. Well, let's get someone else that we probably have a lot of confidence in heading into the playoffs out of the way. How about Tom Brady? Tom Brady for me is number two me after too. after Rodgers. I've got 13 confidence points for Tom. What about Jack Prescott? Because of what he's done, especially when he's been healthy, I've got him with 11 confidence points. Uh, I have uh, a couple of guys that are ahead of him, but I will not be surprised if he succeeds. And not only because of him, but in the NFC, I think there are a couple of teams capable of going into Green Bay and winning a game. And I know that national media hates Mike McCarthy for some reason. But I think the Cowboys are capable of going in and winning a game. And you, Prescott would be a big part of that. Do you think they hate it? They didn't hate him when he was in Green Bay. It seems like the divorce from Green Bay put a lot of... Um, put, it changed the narrative of Mike McCarthy in an interesting way. Yeah. And, and here's a team that went 11-5. and five, And... You're looking for things like, oh, well, his clock management is bad. To me, when you go 11 and 5, it's kind of like the way that the basketball media treated Budenholzer. You're looking for negatives despite the fact that the guy just keeps winning. Here's a name I want to throw out. How about Matthew Stafford? Matthew Stafford is at the bottom of, no, not bottom half of my list. I, I don't think he's great as an example. I have Ryan Tannehill above Matthew Stafford because Matthew Stafford has turned into Matthew Stafford. We've seen it before. Uh, now he's got that toe injury that apparently limited his mobility. And also, when he is making comments after the 49ers loss, like the environment was loud, you know, we, this was not a great place for us to mm -hmm. be. To me, that just sounds like an excuse. Whether, right. it's, whether it's true or not, the great ones, it doesn't matter what the crowd noise is like. It doesn't matter if the opposing fans come in and fill up your stadium. That should all be background noise to you. When you have the talent that he has, even though they lost Robert Woods, but when you have Beckham and you have, obviously, Cooper Cup and you have Van Jefferson and then you're playing with the running backs that you have in the offense that you have, and you're down in overtime by a field goal, and all you have to do to keep the game going is get into field goal range for a good kicker, and you throw an interception, that's a red flag. Mm -hmm. Because that, was, that wasn't a playoff game, but that was a statement game for a team that had lost five in a row to the 49ers, and he couldn't handle that. 
Kyler Murray, Arizona Cardinals. Where's your confidence in Kyler? Again, bottom half uh, out of the the 14, I have him number six in confidence points. I love Kyler Murray, but I think that he needs to be a more structured guy. He just, he'll roll left and throw off of his back foot and throw ducks and throw interceptions so often. I just want to see him use his athletic ability, but be more structured within the offense. And I don't know if that'll ever happen in that offense. He is going to do some electric things, but can you consistently count on him? That's the question with Kyler. Right. And maybe you can. He's still only in his third year, and he's missing the best receiver, one of the best receivers in DeAndre Hopkins in the entire league. I'm a fan, but I just don't have much confidence in him this year. And the weird thing is, Michelle, I, I, I look at their road record. I wonder why he's better on the road. Not only are the Cardinals better on the road, but he's better on the road than he is at home. Now, here's a guy who takes a lot of heat, and I'm interested to see where you place him. Jimmy Garoppolo, he is proving, once again, even while injured, that he can get the job done. Do you have as much confidence in him as Aaron Rodgers? No, but Jimmy G is there yet again. Yeah, and the boy, it's amazing how we draw conclusions about a quarterback because of one or two plays in their career, like the fourth quarter in the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. It's a memorable time. Yeah, it, it, it kind of <laughs> is. Fourth quarter of a Super Bowl, we're going to remember that. Yep, but this is a guy that when he's been healthy has led productive offenses. That being said, I actually have more confidence in Kyler Murray than I have in Jimmy G at this point. If the game is in Jimmy G's hands in the fourth quarter, I'm not particularly enthused about it. And he made it happen on, I just saw it on Sunday. I just, just saw him saw do it in the fourth quarter. While he was injured too. Yeah, right. So this is all perception and it's probably stupid perception on my part because I, I, I'm kind of a backer of Jimmy G. I give him the benefit of you the do. doubt, but I don't, I don't have, I don't want him running my playoff team at the moment. Even though with the playoffs on the line and an injured hand, he still was able to get it done. That doesn't tick him up a little in the confidence rankings. Hey, you know what? He's missing his left tackle. He's missing another offensive lineman. His receiving core is diminished. It's not what it was. And he just keeps making plays. It's unbelievable. And he's one of those guys that he's dogged by perception and probably will never be able to change that regardless of what he does. A guy who this season was kind of on a mission to change the perception of him is Jalen Hurts. I don't see Jalen Hurts being able to throw me to a victory. And this goes back to my traditional playoff quarterback view. I have Jalen Hurts as my number 14. I don't think Philadelphia is that good. I don't think they're a product of an expanded playoff system. And I think Jalen Hurts this year is a product of an expanded playoff system. Even though he's going to get some rest, you don't think that that might give him a little boost heading into the playoffs? No, and I, coming off the ankle, that's great. And that's great. You know, he's he's a really competitive guy, and I like a lot of what he's done. I just don't think that team is set up to win in the playoffs. Well, a team that is set up to win off in the playoffs, the Tennessee Titans. But where's your confidence level in Ryan Tannehill? Tannehill's kind of like Jimmy G. I, don't, I probably don't give him enough respect. I've got him right in the middle of the pack at number eight. This guy led the league in passing efficiency a couple of years ago. He, he was number one in quarterback rating. Now he has Julio Jones back. He has A.J. Brown back. He's going to have Derrick Henry back. Which is scary. I should probably, and by the way, another guy that's been playing without his left tackle all year long and has been doing so successfully, I probably don't give him enough credit, but I have him in the middle of the pack. 
I think when we think about the Tennessee Titans, we think about the weapons surrounding him before we think of him. You're right. We yep. think when we think Titans, the first thing that comes to mind is Derrick Henry, injured or not. He's the first thing you're going, the first person yeah. you're going to attribute their success to, which might be a benefit for Ryan Tannehill. Some of these guys don't need to be Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers mm-hmm. in order to win. They need to understand what their role is and execute. And we talked about perception with Jimmy G. Do you think about Ryan Tannehill in Miami? Even though we shouldn't because he's been gone from there for a long time. I don't. But I still think about the the Miami Ryan Tannehill and think about that guy reappearing, even though he's been coached extremely well and he's perfect in the offense in Tennessee. All right, let me give you an easy one. Patrick Mahomes. Uh, I have him at right after Rodgers and Brady. He's my number three from the top. Been there, done that. Yep. Josh Allen. I have him at number 10. He, I have him right behind Dak. Ten, 10, not 10 overall, but 10 confidence points. Now, this is one that I circled because I can't wait to see what you have to say about this guy, Joe Burrow, Bengals. I, I have Joe Burrow just behind Josh Allen. So I'm going Rodgers, Brady, Mahomes, Prescott, Allen, Burrow in that order. He's up there for me, too. This is a proven winner. He clearly yeah. can e- extract the best out of those around him. They've got a really good team. Joe Burrow is a guy that I would want to have the ball. If if yeah. I needed a win, I want the, bo- the ball in Joe Burrow's hands. Yep. All right, a guy I know you're not high on. What about Mac Jones? I've got him at number 12 Okay. this year. I've got Surprised? him. Uh, yeah, I, I have him. Uh, <laughs> number 12. Well, he's. Uh, I thought you'd have him I, at the bottom. I, 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 I No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that. I, I told you that who he is, right? Mm-hmm. He's, and it's not a bad thing. He's Chad Pennington. That's who Mac Jones is going to be. So, yeah, 12th best quarterback in this uh, group. Derek Carr. I have Derek Carr at number six. I have uh, Derek Carr uh, just behind uh, our, our buddy Matthew Stafford. So, and again, probably underrated because he's been great in the regular season. I just haven't seen him in the playoffs. I think I might have more confidence in Derek Carr than Matthew Stafford, and that's not even a Rams bias. It's just yeah, based on what I've seen in totality out of both of them. Pretty good. Yeah. yeah. And finally, a guy who's done it before, but physically just clearly is not the same at the end of the road, Big Ben. So I have Jalen Hurts at the bottom, and I have Big Ben second from the bottom. And it's because of what you said. He's he's old. He's we've been there, done that with him. So, and by the way, not with this Ben Roethlisberger. He's just not very able to do it anymore. Well, we know the end is near. You yeah. know, he's he's trying to scrape everything he can from the bottom of the barrel. Yeah, and it, and they're still, but they're still there. Here's they're the still thing. in a, posi- a playoff position. If I'm going to do my top ten all-time quarterbacks, Big Ben's probably there. But not this year in the playoffs. Right. All right. We've played the backler for the second half of the football season, trying to find the guy that we're giving our game ball to. And uh, Michelle, we're at that point where we have four people and we're going to make our judgment as to who gets the game ball. Michelle Smallman has the honor of uh, on this ABC special providing the game ball to one special individual. Okay. Well, our four remaining candidates, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Aaron Rodgers, and Tom Brady. I think the first guy we're sending home, even though we love him, is Justin Herbert. Yes, agreed. Not in the playoffs. Yeah. Just you can't you can't be in this same category. I'm sorry. Sorry, Justin, you're a swell guy. We love you. Yeah. But just not today. Not today. I think the next guy, Randy, that we should send home, even though he is a proven winner, is Patrick Mahomes. Agreed. Yeah, you don't want to get involved with that family. I just really don't. No. I don't. 
And also, I think that there's two guys that are, frankly, I have more confidence in right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, Experience. Yeah. Sure. Uh, so it comes down to Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. Okay. And sometimes you have to make decisions with your head and not your heart because you know where my heart lies. Mm-hmm. But I think it's only fair that we give the Carriker and Smallman final game ball on the 2021-2022 edition of The Bacalar to Aaron Rodgers. Well, Michelle, I'll say this. At least you don't have to worry about getting involved with his family. I wouldn't even mind that. You know that I love Tom Brady. I This one this one hurts me. This is going to be one yeah. of those where I need the after Bacalar special where I'm crying for this decision. <laughs> and, I, and I wonder if I've chosen correctly. But Aaron Rodgers has been unreal this season. And I just, I can't lay our head down at night, Randy, and know that we would have let Aaron Rodgers walk away. As much as we love TB12, you just can't let Aaron Rodgers go. Congratulations to Aaron Rodgers. He wins the game ball on the backler. Coming up, Darren Pang talking some blues with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is Carriker and Smallman. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues booth. Brought to you by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. Great floors for every home with locations in Crestwood, Manchester, Overland, and St. Peter's. And online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. Michelle and Randy with you. And let's head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and our Tuesday visit with... Darren Pang, the great blues analyst on Bally Sports. Always good to talk to you, sir. Good morning. How are you doing? Good morning, Randy and Michelle. Yeah, always good to talk to you as well. I'm uh, on a brisk morning here in St. Louis, but uh, obviously, what a, what a, oh my goodness, what a last couple of games. I mean, just phenomenal, exciting hockey that uh, kept you on the edge of your seat till the, literally the very end. I've never seen anything like that before. Yeah, what did you think of the... Uh, the ending of that Dallas gang game panger, obviously an historic ending. We had never seen anything like it, as you mentioned, but man, these blues are just resilient. It doesn't matter if it's the final seconds of the game, they're going to find a way to win. Yeah, there's, there is a belief. I mean, I, I saw that resilience being shown in 2019 when, you know, when Craig Berube took over the team. And I remember when he did, the team was lacking a little confidence, Michelle. And, and every time, at, you know, as, as broadcasters, we get a little private time with them. We'd say, something about, well, that team's a really good team coming in here. What are you going to do to stop them? And and Chief would often stop us right in our tracks and say, you know, we're a good team too. We're a good team. We're a good team. And he, the more he said it, I think the more the players started believing in it again and, and started not worrying about everybody else but focused on the fact they're a good team. And I, I think from that point on, this team probably have gone through some ebbs and flows with changed personnel uh, from the Stanley Cup win. But all in all, the core group of these players still absolutely believe that they can come back and win a hockey game. But listen, at the very end, I was talking to Ryan O'Reilly about this. I said it was a really confusing end because, um, you know, I, I thought they, they were upset with uh, Dallas with the, you know, the slash that broke the stick and that Cairo played the puck with a broken stick. And so I was sort of fixated on that. I didn't even see that Miro Heiskanen, Heiskanen uh, was tripped and held by Braden Shen as well. So I could see their frustration, but... You know, that's hockey. I mean, the Blues have been on the other end of that as well, and so many other teams have. But they take advantage of it, and O'Reilly scores such a big goal, and that's such an important goal for Ryan. And then, obviously, Cairo gets a lucky break to win it. But And then I'm watching the players celebrate because I'm between the benches uh, waiting to do the post-game interview with the player of the game. And, and as the players are saluting the crowd, I look; they're all staring at the bench. So 
I'm like, what's going on at their bench? I look over on the bench on the left side, and I see Rick Bonus just trying to crack uh, Joe Pavelski's stick in, in half, and he can't break it. And I'm like, oh, what a show this is. <laughs> wow. Darren Pang with us on 101 ESPN. And Panger, it, it sounds really easy, and you know this as a player and as a goalie, it, it sounds really easy to play until the whistle blows or until the, the buzzer sounds. But not every team does that. And that's another thing under – Ruby that the Blues do really well. We saw it over the weekend with the goal, obviously, against Washington from Barbashev, and then just keep playing. That's so important, and the Blues do that. And play the. And if there's a loose puck around there, you you know what? You might take a, a glove in the in the chops. You might get cross checked in the chest, but keep poking at that loose puck until that whistle absolutely goes. That's the game. I mean, the game's still the game. It's a. Uh, you know, the horn's going to go at the very end of a period, but there's always time for a puck to find its way in the net. And you're right about the barbership goal. That is an excellent example. Washington took their eye off the prize for a split second, and they got burnt. And, it, you know, it may have really dictated the rest of the game. And certainly that was a big win for uh, for the Blues. And then, you know, uh, you know, scoring two goals in the last 46 seconds is or whatever it was, was I mean, Incredible. I mean, that's just an incredible turn of events. And you can see how, if you're the defending team, you know, how you've got to regain your emotion and stability as well. You get all fired up about one thing and you're so upset about that. And the next thing you know, they, you know, the blues end up scoring again. So I think it's probably a good lesson for the blues too, if they were on the other side of it to learn from that going forward. And the equalizer in that game, Panger, came from Ryan O'Reilly. It was just his second goal in the past 14 games. Obviously, he can contribute to this team in a lot of different ways, but what do you think is stopping him from finding the back of the net uh, the way that we've, we've been used to seeing him? Um, you know, I think he's a little bit stung right now, but I, I do think that, you know, that when he was rolling early on with David Prawn, and I, I'm not a, an excuse maker, but I do think there's some validity to it. Um, that was one of the best tandems, not only on the team, but in the entire NHL. And so, you know, Ryan really was affected by, by, the, by the COVID uh, testing positive and, and obviously came back and was trying to find his way. And then David Prawn ended up, you know, being out. So I think, you know, that magic tandem kind of got broken up right there. And I think he lost a little momentum from that. And then I, I thought he was working hard and getting a lot of chances. In fact, I thought he was shooting the puck more than I've seen him shoot it. So he was determined to get to the middle of the ice, determined to, get pucks on net but you know what sometimes they just don't go in and so I mean this might be exactly uh you know the moment that that he needed I I love the fact that he takes responsibility every single night you know when it's not going well but it's not really him every single night but he's the captain and he's a leader and he he feels the pressure when it's not going well so I think that was a really big moment not just for Ryan scoring the goal but I think everybody in the team really saw that and really realized it and and, he, and uh, obviously, he tries hard every single night, so it's nice to see him get rewarded. Panger, Colton Pareko placed in COVID protocol yesterday by a pretty significant margin. He leads the Blues in minutes. Who do you expect to see step up in his stead? And obviously, Falk will play an extra minute or two per game, but who's going to get an opportunity to get those Pareko minutes? Yeah, they're going to be they're going to have to be shared upon. But I mean, Justin Falk is a guy that can probably play thirty minutes any any night, any time of the any time of the week. You know, um, for me, he's he's a guy that, I, I, you know, I, I'm going to single him out a little bit. I think Scandella can get in there a little bit more. I, I've liked his game. Um, you know, Perunovic will be coming back at at this point. What you know, I, I would I, I would have to think that's the guy though. I mean, when you really look at it, you you, you look you look great at uh, at Justin Falk. So. 
Uh, the other part about it is, and this is another frustrating thing, and we've talked about it before, but, you know, from what I understand, both trainer Ray Barilli, who's out on COVID, uh, you know, Braden Shen, who's been playing really well out. I mean, these guys aren't, there's no symptoms for these guys. And I, it's very frustrating for them to be out and to be missing for this period of time, you know, when really nothing's going on and nothing's happening with them. That's just a real shame. And one last thing, Panger, with Seattle coming into town, Jaden Schwartz suffers a broken hand, so he's out for a month. So we'll have to wait to see the return of Jaden Schwartz, who is one of my favorite players, just watching his two-way game over the years. And that's a guy, I know that things aren't going well for Seattle, but that's a key guy for that team. Yeah, that, that, that really is. And I'm, yeah, so even when the team goes out to Seattle, I'm not going to see him there either. So, um, yeah, I, I just love the guy. You know what I feel about Jaden Schwartz. He's got a heart of gold. He's a spirited guy. And, um, you know, I know Seattle's not going that great for Seattle, but still it's their first year in the NHL. And there's a, there's a lot of talk about them, a lot of buzz about them. And I'm, I look forward to seeing them. I look forward to seeing their, their beautiful sweaters come in here on Thursday night. I think it'll be an exciting night. Panger, always good to hear your voice. Thanks so much. Enjoy doing your commercial today. By the way, this afternoon, a high of 48 in St. Louis. Beautiful. Getting warmer. I got to head over to uh, Arizona for a TNT game uh, later on this afternoon, but uh, I'll be back here for Thursday. All right. We'll be watching. Thank you, sir. Take care. Okay, bud. Thank you. See you. See you guys. Darren Pang with us on 101 ESPN. Panger's the best. Oh, absolutely. And I love that anecdote that he threw in there about Chief in the 2019 season when everybody would talk about the opposition and how good the opposition was in the playoffs, that Craig Berube would say, we're a good team too. And he's absolutely right. Through osmosis, people around you start to think that way too, that no, they've got to come through us, not the other way around. Go back to the pregame speech before Game 7 that still gives you chills. You're here because you're a good team. Yes, absolutely. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We have Take It or Leave It. And I have a, a doozy for Michelle on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. Good to have you with us on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's time for Take It or Leave It. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. And we do need your text, so feel free to participate because it's your show, too. Uh, Andrew Marsh is here. And, Michelle, we often, in this business, we get emails for show prep, right? We, we do, we, yeah. We get offered interviews and we get lists, you know, a list of the healthiest dogs, by the way, St. Louis number one. Healthiest dogs in America. Healthiest dogs in America, yeah, St. Louis. Yeah, you're right. You know, I would think Seattle, maybe, uh, San Diego. You'd think so. Yeah, yeah wow. We're number one. We are number one. Yeah, All so, right. so you get these lists, uh, best place to, uh, uh, to, to raise children, things like that. Best zoos in America. Well, I got one, Michelle, this morning. Okay. That I think that you will be interested in. Oh, God. What is it? It's 2022's Best Cities for Bagel Lovers. <gasps> Number one, as you might expect, New York. New York, New York, Number yes. Number two is San Francisco. Okay. But what caught me because of you and knowing you, I had to scroll down the list and the number one bagel city in New Jersey is number 94. 
Jersey City, New Jersey. Take it or leave it, this list is completely stupid, in your opinion, if the highest-rated New Jersey bagel city is number 94. If you're going to throw San Francisco in there over Mm. New Jersey, we got some problems. I thought you were going to tell me St. Louis was number three and that there's a hidden bagel scene that I didn't know. We're number 76. Yeah, that, that adds up. Uh, Boston, D.C., Fort Lauderdale, and rounding out the top 10, Vegas, uh, Orlando, Yonkers, Mm. Chicago, Aurora. Now, I would have thought that Miami would be higher because of all the transplants from New York, New Jersey. But it's the water. Right, the water in Jersey. And that's why I was stunned and saddened to see that they really don't know what they're talking about when they're putting together this uh, group called Lawn Love, I don't know that either, but the, their, their best bagel city and their methodology is stupid, is, uh, doesn't even include a city in New Jersey in the top 10. It's called Lawn Love and they're rating bagels? Yeah. Stick to what you know. Stay in your lane. I'm with you. Talk, do you want to talk to me about grass varietals? I'll I'll take your word for it. It'd be hard for St. Louis too. We aren't going to win that one either. Grass varietals? Yeah. I don't even know. Is that a word? Is that a phrase? Grass? No, we just made it up. <laughs> varietals is yeah. something with wine. I don't even know where I, what I'm talking about. I'm so worked up over this ba- these bagel oh, rankings. I, I don't blame you. No. Do we not have good grass here? It's hard to grow grass in St. Louis. My, really? my grass looks these really good. These are things good. I don't know. Yeah, thanks to my friends at Green Envy Lawn, my grass looks fantastic up until we get to July and it's really hot. Yeah. It's difficult. Golf courses do a good Dries job. It out. I do not. Yeah. yeah. So methodology, establishment serving bagels per square mile, number of highly rated establishments, uh, average consumer rating, popularity, average monthly Google search volume for bagel related terms over the past year, total number of reviews. So their methodology is stupid too. Maybe they should just poll some people. Well, that's the thing about Jersey is you're not Googling where to go to get bagels. Because you know. Because you know. It's word of mouth. Good point. So... Lawn love. That's right. Sorry. <laughs> Forget it, lawn love. All right, Randy, we know that Mike Zimmer, former head coach of the Minnesota Vikings, he got to keep an eye on him. Randy. He got whacked yesterday, lost his job, right? Well, Eric Kendricks, who's a Vikings linebacker, was asked about Mike Zimmer and about the situation in Minnesota, and he had an interesting quote that I wanted to throw your way. He says, no matter what your role is on the staff, you having a voice and being able to communicate things you think could facilitate wins, I just think having that voice, no matter how big your role is, it's important to listen up and take each other's opinions into account. I don't think a fear-based organization is the way to go. Mm. Take it or leave it. With this generation of player, a fear-based operation is never going to work. I will take that 100%. And Mike Zimmer is a Bill Parcells disciple. And that's obviously part of what Parcells sold. Now, he also gave players ownership and had a great relationship. But there's some players, you can do that. You can be fear-based. But you have to know every single player on your roster and how to push their buttons. And clearly... Kendricks didn't have the correct buttons pushed by Mike Zimmer. It just feels like today's player has so much more power and they Mm -hmm. have so much more agency that trying to scare them into doing something is not going to work, especially at the professional level. It's not going to work, no. And players know, you talk about power, that they can get a coach fired and maybe that's what happened in Minnesota. All right, your text 65780. Andrew, what do you got? Yeah, speaking of of uh, Mike Zimmer, take it or leave it. His supermodel girlfriend leaves him after he got left. Oh, I, I'm going to leave that. Because you think it's true love? Oh, yeah, because now they're going to be able to spend a little bit more time together. That's right. And she's going to enjoy what Mike Zimmer's all about. He's a fun guy, apparently. But do you think they see eye to eye? 
<laughs> no. You guys. You guys. <laughs> I'm going to believe that she's going to leave him because I don't want to put that into the universe. I, I'm happy for the, those two crazy kids. I'm super happy for 65-year-old Mike Zimmer. <laughs> I'm sure you are. <laughs> From the 636, take it or leave it, an SEC QB named Stetson Bennett the fourth. That's the best throwback name ever. Retire the trophy and build him a statue in Athens. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll take that, too. Even though Stetson Bennett the fourth sounds like he should be the quarterback of the Texas yeah. Longhorns, I'll take it. It's an unbelievable quarterback name. Stetson Bennett. Yes, I'm going to the club with Stetson. Wellington's there. Yeah. Biff. I like Grey Poupon. <laughs> Do you, Would you have like Perrier? some Grey Poupon? <laughs> I thought we were going to get a, a Tua Tagovailoa moment last night and him coming out of the game I because a lot of people, especially on Twitter, were like, get this guy out of the game right, right. now. Daniels is a talented guy, too. I was a little bit surprised, and I, I was texting with somebody. I don't even remember who, but I, I wonder if Daniels even got reps during mm-hmm. the week. And he was under a lot of pressure early, too. I would guess the coach probably thought, well, let's just protect him a little bit and see what happens. And they did, and we did. From the 573, take it or leave it, Bill O'Brien should never be able to call for another football team, a play caller, that is, or at least one that has championship hopes. I'm going to leave that. They were in the championship game. And this is a guy that took the Houston Texans to the playoffs four out of five years. Don't let him be a GM, but he can call plays for you. That's pretty good offense. did oversee the offense that had the Heisman Trophy winning quarterback that threw 40 touchdown passes. He must have been doing something against the SEC. I was must have say, been doing something right. That was in the national championship game yeah. and had just beaten Georgia in recent memory. So, yeah, I'd leave that too. By the way, from the 314, we got some some hot goss here. Oh, uh, this texter heard that Zimmer was seeing someone else on the side. Oh, my. No. Oh, yeah, maybe seeing someone else. Yeah, seeing, of course. Uh, yeah. Uh, take it or leave it. Bagel Factory has the best bagels in St. Louis. Never Factory's been. strong. Never right down been. the street here. Yeah. Oh, I should go. Okay. Yeah, they're strong. We got to get some of those. Yeah, six five seven eight zero. We're the best bagels in St. Louis. Let me know. Let's compose a list. We're the best bread sliced bagels in St. Louis. Uh, we know. But don't tell us the actual name. Give us the street name, and we'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, Randy, I'm not going to tell you our trash pizza, but here's the latitude and longitude and precise address. <laughs> We never gave a name. Everybody knew. The text line knew. The text line knew. From the 636, take it or leave it, we will start to hear baseball discussions. The CBA talk by January 31st. January 31st. I'm going to leave it because they better get talking before then. They're, they have a lot of ground to cover. I We are having Jesse Rogers on later in the show. I was telling you guys during commercial break, I was getting so angry reading his latest piece at ESPN about the lack of movement between these two parties. I'm going to start to get worked up. But the, the arrogance that these two groups of people have and their lack of urgency in getting this done is astounding to me. With so much on the line... It is mind-blowing that they are both just sitting back, taking their sweet time, and waiting for the other side to blink. Spring training generally opens right around Valentine's Day. It's January 11th. We are a month and three days away from Valentine's Day. We are not starting spring training on time. It's just not going to happen. Because there's too much ground to cover, and they're too stupid to start covering it. 
From the 314, take it or leave it. Cardinals should sign Colin McHugh. Sure, yeah, take it. Get a lefty that can start and relieve. Yeah, it's not a bad idea. I like I like Colin McHugh, championship pitcher. All right, Randy. Take it or leave it. Brad Smith could have put up the same numbers as Lamar Jackson in the current Ravens offense. That's a good one. That is a good one. And I will, uh, I'll take that. Brad Smith was a really talented player. He could throw, he could run. Probably a little bit more elusive than Jackson is. I I would say, yeah, that uh, Brad Smith was in the wrong right place at the wrong time the nfl today suits brad smith's quarterbacking skills than the nfl that he played in mm-hmm. what 20 years ago or whatever thank you andrew you're welcome and thanks for your text to the air comfort service text line 65780 next up what openings make sense for teams in terms of nfl head coaching availability that's next on 101 espn we're right back to the character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's character and Smallman's Fresh Take. Brought to you by the Schnooks Rewards app. Check out Good For You, a free wellness program available in the app today. We knew that some of this would be coming, and we knew that there would be surprises. But I think what happened in the last hour was really a bit jarring, to be perfectly frank. The not surprises, Chicago and Minnesota, both organizations made sweeping changes, clean sweeps, fired everybody. Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace in Chicago, out. Mike Zimmer, Rick Spielman in Minnesota, out. The surprise came this morning in Miami where the Dolphins let go of Brian Flores, a head coach who I would think is going to get immediate consideration for another head coaching job. That was one that a lot of people didn't see coming. That was ESPN's Adam Schefter yesterday talking about the changes, and now we have six coaching openings in the NFL. Brian Flores fired by the Dolphins, Matt Nagy by the Bears, no surprise, Mike Zimmer by the Vikings, Vic Fangio by Denver. That happened on Sunday, and obviously during the season, Urban Meyer by the Jaguars, John Gruden was forced out by the Raiders. And Schefter reporting this morning, Michelle, that the Bears are already off and running. Last night they asked for and received permission to talk to both Bills coordinators, offensive coordinator Brian Dayball and Leslie Frazier on the defensive side. And this morning, the Bears have requested permission to talk to the Buccaneers offensive coordinators, Byron Leftwich and Todd Bowles. So let's start with this. Was there anything even remotely close for you to Brian Flores getting let go in Miami? No. I This happened right before the fight yesterday. You were out of the studio. I looked up on the TV, and I saw it coming across the, the ticker on ESPN, and I gasped. I gasped out loud because I can't imagine what Brian Flores could have done, and there's you know, differing reports coming out of Miami, but he had a team that was 1-7 and seven and turned them around and put together a pretty impressive season, two seasons back-to-back winning seasons, and he had just beaten... Bill Belichick again and I know that there has been 
a lot of speculation about his relationship with Tua and about maybe the relationships that he had in the building. But that must have been something that wasn't that big of a deal because we hadn't had reports of that during the season. So I know we're not privy to everything, but it just doesn't seem like it was that explosive of a situation, like something that we saw in Chicago Mm -hmm. that was in the headlines all the time. Not enough for him to be fired. Dan Arlovsky of ESPN. I think it's a mistake. Yes. Uh, here's what here's my struggle with it, because the NFL is a results-driven league. We all know this. Oftentimes, coaches who are good men get fired, and we go, you just didn't get it done. Yeah. He's got back-to-back winning seasons. Yeah. He's, he's beaten New England twice this year. 10-6 mm-hmm. and 9-8 and, and eight the last two years. And for me, it feels eerily similar to what happened to Jim Caldwell in Detroit. Yeah. We're like, it was good, but the expectations were to be better. Mm-hmm. And you fire a coach that is a really good coach, and you're going to regret it. And when you look at Stephen Ross's recent history, before Brian Flores, it was Adam Gase, and he had Joe Philbin before that, who was a failure, and that was a logical choice to be the head coach. Tony Sperano, who led them to the playoffs, they've made some mistakes with coaching hires, and it looked like they finally got one right, Michelle, and that's the frustrating thing for Dolphins fans like we are, Mm -hmm. is that it seemed like they had the guy. Absolutely, and how many people have wanted the former Belichick guy who would be able to to translate to another team? Because mm-hmm. whether it's Josh McDaniel, I mean, the list goes. We don't even need to get the list of former Belichick assistants that haven't worked out as NFL head coaches. Brian Flores seemed like he was going to be the outlier. He seemed like he was going to be the guy who was in New England and was able to take things that he learned there, but also put his own spin on it and have success elsewhere. And the thing that really gets me, Randy, is that you didn't fire the GM, Chris Greer. Yeah. So it's not like it was you're wiping the slate clean. This was clearly Stephen Ross saying this is a Brian Flores issue. And it was interesting to read the stories yesterday about Brian Flores and why he got fired and then compare and contrast them to when Bill Belichick got fired by Cleveland because it's essentially the same thing is the charges of not being able to play well with others within the organization and that the organization appears to be more comfortable with losing than with a level of friction from a head coach who wants to win. You know... We are pumped to be Dolphins fans, but we were texting about this yesterday. Of course, we would go from being St. Louis Rams fans to being fans of another organization with a terrible and inept ownership group. And that's about half the teams in the league. It is, but this one's particularly bad. Yeah, they're really awful. It's a shame. Now, a couple of NFC North teams cleaned house, obviously. The Bears getting rid of their GM and coach. Vikings getting rid of their GM and head coach. Lewis Riddick of ESPN on why he thinks one job is better than the other. A lot of coaches want to work with Justin Fields. A lot of coaches are going to want to work with Darnell Mooney. A lot of coaches who will look at that franchise and consider what its history is as a blue blood, as you know, as a pillar organization, although they haven't been winners really at a, at a high level for a long time, and say, I want to work there. I want to work in that city. I'll work for that ownership group as long as they restructure the front office to the degree where we're not saddled with a bunch of business people and people who are incompetent when it comes to football sitting here telling me what I need to do. And we have it structured right from the very top down. I, I, no question people look at, it, at that. 
Well, if that's the case, then the Bears job shouldn't be that appealing, even though Justin Fields is an attractive piece and someone you may want to coach and someone you may want to build around. After that George McCaskey press conference yesterday, I don't know how if, and and listen, there's only 32 of these jobs, you're going to take a job regardless of how dysfunctional the ownership group is or how bad the team is. Whatever hole you have to dig out of, you're going to take it if if you get the job. But to have George McCaskey go out there and give the press conference that he did yesterday, if you're a Bears fan, that has to feel like the seventh circle of hell. You have to feel like you're never going to be able to see your team put out a winning product. When he says, I'm just a fan, I'm not a football evaluator, but you're making football decision. He was contradicting himself so much. He was ripping former players. He, It was just, it was, uh, I, it was just crazy. It was absolutely dysfunctional what he did yesterday. And that has to, at least if I'm looking at these jobs that are available, push the Bears down on the list a little bit. Now, one of the names associated with the Bears has been Jim Harbaugh, the head coach at Michigan. Here is Schefter, also a Michigan grad, on Harbaugh's transition back to the NFL. I think he's happy at Michigan right now. And that's not to say that he wouldn't leave for the right opportunity, but I believe it's going to take an offer that really is one that he can't refuse. And unless there's an offer he can't refuse, I think he's going to stay at Michigan. Now, that hasn't happened to date, and it could happen at any point in time. Look, when the Raiders' season is over, maybe they make a run. The Chicago Bears, who once employed Jim Harbaugh as a quarterback, always could make a run. These possibilities are out there when you're coming off the kind of season that Jim Harbaugh had. But to date, nobody's made that kind of run that has made it an offer that he can't refuse. And until that happens, he's going to continue to stay at Michigan. And I think he's happy doing that. Michelle, I have trouble figuring out what the best of these jobs is. Mm -hmm. We know about the dysfunction in Miami. We just talked about the level of incompetence in Chicago. The Vikings have an absentee ownership, and they don't want to put anybody in charge on a day-to-day basis. The Wilfs are in New Jersey enjoying the great bagels there. You don't know who the owner of the Broncos is going to be. That ownership could change within a year after you take the job. We know about Shad Khan and what's happened so far Mm -hmm. in Jacksonville. And then the Raiders are the Raiders. Now, Mark Davis might be better than Al Davis. And he did, to his credit, give power to Mike Mayock and John Gruden. And they do have Derek Carr. So maybe that's the best of the jobs, the most secure of the jobs. I just don't think any of these are great. And there's a reason that these jobs keep opening up. Nagy, three years. Flores, three years. Zimmer, eight years. But we mentioned the ownership structure there and their marriage to to Kirk Cousins. The Broncos, new guy every three years. Jaguars, they, they hired Urban Meyer. So there's a reason that these jobs are open. And I don't know that any of them are great. I'm with you. I think the Raiders might be the one. Now, the most important commodity in all of sports is a franchise quarterback, and you hope you have that in Jacksonville with Trevor Lawrence. Mm-hmm. That obviously is a desirable location just because of who's under center. However, I would say that out of any of these situations, the Raiders have the best quarterback situation with Derek Carr. They have that big new stadium in Vegas, so you know that the ownership group is going to want to continue to be aggressive there because they're trying to make their mark in Vegas, but it's still whether the location is in Oakland or it's in Vegas, the Raiders is still um, a brand that people want to follow and that a coach would want to coach for. So 
even though initially I would want to say the Jaguars strictly because of Trevor Lawrence, I'm with you. And obviously, we don't know what's going to happen with Mike Mayock. I'm assuming Mike Mayock is still going to be there. Mm -hmm. And if you would want to work with him, that's a question that a potential candidate is going to have to decide. But I would say the Raiders is probably the best gig. And then I would, even with the ownership group, just the state of the team, I would say the Dolphins have a lot of potential. They're pointing in Mm -hmm. the right direction. But part of the reason I felt that way was because Brian Flores had rallied the troops in the second half of the season. Yeah, I, I just don't see that ownership being patient enough to put together a, a program. It's one thing to put together a team where you win seven games in a row and you finish over 500. It's another thing to have a program in place, and I just don't know if Stephen Ross is capable of that. And that's one thing that we have to see from Shad too, is nobody in Jacksonville likes the general manager. Obviously, they've been through a couple of coaches now in a couple of years. He's got some things to prove, and he's a... a visible hands-on owner there they need to put somebody smart in charge of that organization but the urban meyer situation chad khan was even willing to let that breathe yeah though. right Herb, urban meyer drove himself out of town not the other way around it wasn't as if chad khan was interjecting himself or looking over his shoulder or demanding something of urban meyer and not giving him enough time to do it urban meyer was the one kicking players and hanging out with cayman nebraska when he was supposed to be on the team charter he did that to himself so i know that a lot of people aren't fans of shad khan but i don't think he was the reason why it didn't work out with urban meyer and i think he would probably given this next coaching hire be a I would think extra supportive and want to give that person even more time and more runway to grow. Looking back, it's unbelievable how lucky we got here in St. Louis that Dick Vermeil decided to take the job because the Rams here were just like these organizations and they were going to go, Rich, Rich Brooks had been there for a couple of years. They were going to do the exact same thing. They would have gone through coach after coach after coach and they never would have won but Dick Vermeil was intrigued enough to come here. Otherwise, we would have been just like these teams. Well, we were like those teams after Dick Vermeil left. Totally, we were. You're right. <laughs> We've been there. We know what it feels like. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up next, do the Blues need to make a move to win another Stanley Cup? That's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Randy on 101 ESPN. We had Kelly Chase on the show a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about how the Blues need to be a little bit bigger so that they can pound teams into submission like they did in their Stanley Cup run a couple of years ago. If they're going to win a Stanley Cup, a lot of people believe that the Blues need to pick up another defense from Michelle and be a bigger team. At the moment, I'm going to disagree with that because I just don't look around hockey and see another team where you say, okay, they're going to be able to pound you into submission. At the very least, the Blues will be on even footing, I believe, with every other team that's in the playoffs in terms of being heavy and being able to play heavy. I don't think there's anybody that's bigger and more ferocious than the Blues are. And they have proven with this roster that they can win and they can overcome circumstances. However, I think if you're looking at one area 
uh, of growth for this team or an opportunity for you to get better, you are looking at the defense and you are looking at a chance to maybe add a piece and if you can, add some size and physicality. And you'd like that to be a quality player. And I've said this a lot, and it's not a slight to Robert Bortuzzo, but when you're talking about getting a big guy, you know if you're the Blues that you're going to have Krug playing and you know that when he's healthy, Perunovic is probably going to be in there as well. You're top four right now. You're going to have Mikola and Pareko when they're healthy. You're going to have Krug and Falk when they're healthy. And then Perunovic is going to slide in there and you're going to get your your odd games uh, with, with Scandella getting opportunities. But And obviously Robert Bortuzzo. But I don't know that that player that we're talking about is easily attainable. Yeah, getting that big guy that because it's going to be really hard to trade Marco Scandella. If you're a general manager of another team, are you trading for nothing against Marco Scandella? But he's making a lot of money. I don't think that he's worth the money that he's making. He's getting three point two seven five through twenty three twenty four. Do you give? Marco Scandella, $3.3 million a year over the next three years. I don't. I do not. And also, if Doug Armstrong is calling me and trying to make this deal, am I even picking up the phone? That's because I know he's likely gonna question. he's likely gonna fleece me. I'm looking at Doug Armstrong's track record. And if I see Army on line one, I'm telling my assistant, don't patch him through. No. Because whatever he's gonna tell me, I'm gonna end up walking away from this deal and I'm gonna be worse for it. You are not exactly going to start franchises with Yuri Laterra and Patrick Berglund and Tage Thompson and Vladimir Saboka and Dominic Bach, it's just not going to happen. Now, there, there are a couple of guys out there, but I think the bigger issue here, Michelle, is that right now, Cap Friendly has the Blues projected deadline cap space at $318,000. You aren't going to get a player if you make a hockey trade or you trade a prospect you aren't going to get a player that makes that little because the minimum is like 700000 750000 Yeah, it's going to be difficult to get it done. Now, what about Vladdy? That's the question. Do you, do you make your team better? Is there a circumstance under which you add a defenseman and trade Vladimir Tarasenko? Is your team going to be better? I don't believe that's the case. With the way that he's playing and the chemistry that he's found with several combinations of players on this team, I wouldn't do it. However, we know that Vladimir Tarasenko won it out. We know that Doug Armstrong was waiting for the right deal and it didn't come along and he was going to be patient until he found the situation that was going to improve the Blues significantly. And with what Vladdy has done this season, he is an attractive piece for other teams. So I don't know if... Doug Armstrong wants to make that move now, but if he was going to get a, a strong ROI for Vladdy, it seems like now would be the time. Okay, let me give you a franchise that has a ton of cap space because of long-term injured reserve, and they're going to have the cap space this year and probably for the foreseeable future, and I'll give you a player, and you tell me if you make this move, okay? Okay. Vladimir Tarasenko for Joel Edmondson. No. I don't either. And Joel Edmondson is exactly what we're looking for. Yes. And it would fit from a cap st- standpoint for both teams. If you're playing the game of who says no, if I'm the Blues, I say no. I, I like Joel Edmondson a lot. But even w- if I have him, he's a third-pairing guy. I'm not playing him. Maybe I do put him up on a top pairing with Pareko. 
but would he and Pareko be more valuable to me at playoff time than Vladimir Tarasenko? I don't believe so. I don't believe so either. And it's been years since we've seen this version of Vladimir Tarasenko. And I don't want to mess with that. I don't want to disrupt the chemistry. I don't want to take away the value that he's bringing to my team. And this is someone that is still really hungry and he's still out there proving himself. And that is so beneficial for the Blues, especially come playoff time for Vladimir Tarasenko to understand the opportunity and the stage that he has to show that he is still Vladdy. Uh, I just don't think that I would have the stomach to move him. Here's one other aspect to this, Michelle, that I look at. I think Mikola is getting better every single game. He's getting minutes with Pareko. I'll be interested to see how he performs without Colton Pareko at his side for the next couple of games. Mm-hmm. But this is a talented guy. Now, is he going to be Jay Bomeister? No, he's not. There aren't any Jay Bomeisters out there. But does he have a chance to be that guy come playoff time that's big, physical, that can play against another team's top line for five or six or seven games? I think Nico Mikola can do that. To the level of Edmondson, no, but I'm not going to give up what it would take to get a guy like Edmondson. And if you can, that could be your X factor. Yeah. Yeah. And they've got a great coaching staff. And what you have to do with the defensemen is just be patient. And one day you look up and you say, oh, man, he's really good. You have to deal with some bad times with defensemen, young defensemen. We had Chris Pronger's getting his number retired next week. We dealt with some rough times for a year with Chris Pronger because he was learning the hardest position to learn in hockey is being a defenseman. And I'm not saying that Mikula is going to be a Pronger. I'm just saying that there's going to be a time, if the Blues stick with him, where we're going to wake up one morning and we're going to be looking at the stat sheet saying, oh, he played 22 minutes and he played really well. That's what happens with a guy like that. But with the Blues in a good position now, I'm sure there's so many fans that are watching the games or that are driving around thinking if they could just add that one piece, if they could just get somebody to come in and supplement this team even more this is a team that can't be stopped this is a team that could definitely win a stanley cup and you just don't want to let that opportunity pass you by that's the nature of the beast though if army would make a trade today then next week we'd say oh do the blues have one more trade in them so that they can be even better michelle i'm looking around the league and i think that if the blues play their game They're capable of beating every other team in the league. I believe that, too. I really do. But it's just human nature for us to look back to 2019 and want to to see wave after wave and to have a defense and a team that's going to pound you into submission because that's what won them the cup in 2019. We want to see that again. Yeah, and the Blues have changed, and I think the sport has changed. That's really hard to do. And by the way, I do think once we get to playoff time, I think this roster, especially up front, because it's it's the four lines, I think this roster is capable of not replicating what they did, but there are players on this team that are capable of forechecking, playing with speed, and stapling guys up against the, the offensive boards, the, we, the de- their defensive boards. And we still haven't seen this team in totality no. for an extended period of time, which is crazy. Like, look at the position that they're in right now and the success that they've had. And we have another wave of guys that's out because of COVID protocols. So. Mm-hmm. I think that this is a, a great team or a really good team now that has a chance to be a great team. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. It's 101 ESPN. Coming up, it's the fight. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight. 
on Carriker and Smallman. In the red corner, Average Joe Listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive. Please welcome Randy Carriker. It's time for the fight on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Let's welcome in Randy's challenger on this Tuesday morning. It's Nick who's going to be taking on Randy. Good morning, Nick. How are you? I'm doing well. Good morning to you as well. Thank you. Are you ready to take on Randy? I'm going to give it the old college try. Let's go. All right, Nick. Let's go. Question number one. Who is the last non-quarterback to win NFL MVP? Is it Todd Gurley, Christian McCaffrey, or Adrian Peterson? AP. Question number two, what Cardinals catcher was known as Simba? Was it Tim McCarver, Tom Pagnazzi, or Ted Simmons? Tom Pagnazzi. Question number three, who holds the Blues record for most games coached? Is it Brian Sutter, Joel Quinville, or Ken Hitchcock? Oh, well, can you repeat the question? answer again the answers sure the question is who holds the blues record for most games coached is it brian sutter joel quinville or ken hitchcock go with hitchcock all right last question with 22 and a half sacks on the season tj watt tied what nfl player for most sacks in a single season was it aaron donald michael strahan or jared allen strahan Okay, checking Nick's score. Yep, waving in Randy. Confidence check, Nick. How you feel? Uh, 50-50. 50-50. All right, fair. I, I knew the last one. <laughs> yes, you did. You were quick on the draw there. I think Randy will definitely know number two and number three. One and four, yeah, we'll I see. Figured. One and four, <laughs> we'll see. Uh, Randy, please say good morning to Nick. Good morning, Nick. How are you doing? Doing good. How are you doing? Doing well. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. We do appreciate you being a part of the show. I appreciate you. Are you ready, Mr. Carriker? Ready. Undefeated so far in the new year. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Pressure's on now. Pressure's on. I just tightened my shoulders. Just tightened up. Did you get the dunk tight cheeks? Yeah, All totally. Right. <laughs> All right, Randy. Who is the last non-quarterback to win NFL MVP? I think I will go with... Adrian Peterson, when he almost set the rushing record. I'll go with AP. Randy, question number two. What Cardinals catcher was known as Simba? Simba, huh? Somebody a lion. <laughs> hmm. I will go with Ted Simmons, Simba. Who holds the Blues record for most games coached? Most games coached. It's still... I would think, let's see, 97 through 04, part of 97 through 04 for for Q, and he was the leader. And I can't imagine, let's see, Hitch, 12, part of, well, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. I'm going to go with Q. Q and Hitch. I'm just calling them by their names. So, who's your final answer? Uh, Joel Quenville. Just making sure. All right, Randy. With 22 and a half sacks on the season, TJ Watt tied what NFL player for most sacks in a single season? 
also, actually, TJ kind of broke the record. Well, no, because he played. Well, he. See, CJ missed games. It was Michael Strahan. But the thing is, Strahan had Brett Favre basically fall for his record. But TJ played in a 17-game schedule. However, he was injured, and I think he missed three games. So I'm going to give the record to TJ Watt, breaking Michael Strahan's record. Andrew, ring it. Go crazy, folks! Go crazy! The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. Brought to you by Optical Expressions. Providing St. Louis with top quality eye care and eyewear since 1997. Just win, baby. Sorry, Nick. Randy got all four correct. I knew that was coming. I thought you'd get at least three, but definitely. Uh, I appreciate it. Nick, you got two right, though, so no shame in that. Hey, I said 50-50. You did. Thanks for listening. <laughs> we Thanks for playing, about Nick. That. <laughs> uh, have a great day. You See too. Ya. Take care. All right. AP, Adrian Peterson was the last non-quarterback to win NFL MVP. Ted Simmons is the Cardinals catcher who was known as Simba. It was Joel Quinville. He holds the Blues record for most games coached. And with 22 and a half sacks on the season, TJ Watt tied Michael Strahan for most sacks in a season. That is really cool. I actually just watched a video. So Brett Favre, when he, he did go down, he like got up and was like patting him on the head and like mm-hmm. shaking his hand and all that stuff. Yeah, it was well, two legends. Win, 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 win. There we go. Three. Hey, guess what? what? My device just ran into a problem and needs to restart. Uh, the uh, internet is collecting some error info and then we'll restart for you. Oh, so we only get two sounders today is what you're telling us? Uh, let's see. I'll, I'll just pick one at random. Okay? Okay. Uh, let's see. Stop oh, yeah, sure. Random. Random. So I'm actually going to, uh, during this upcoming break, I'm going to switch computers. And then after this break, we're going to talk to our friend Mike Claiborne here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Michelle, Randy, and you on 101 ESPN. It's always great to go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line when our friend Mike Claiborne is standing by. Mike and I have been in this business for a long time. And, Mike, I just said before the break that uh, my computer crashed. You remember the days when we used to do shows and we didn't have computers? Oh, you know what? (laughs) I was having this conversation with somebody the other day. We used to edit with reel-to-reel yep. machines, and we'd have the razor blade and little scotch tape to splice things together. Uh, cart machines, which nobody remembers them. And uh, how about when you would, when the term rip and read would come into play, where it would come off the teletype, and you'd rip it, and it would be a story from AP or UPI, and, and that's how you got information. You know what I mean? The, the business has changed so much from when you and I first started to where we're at now that I like to put some kids in the time machine, let them go back to see how things used to be done. And I think maybe we have a lot of people think about career changes. <laughs> so back in the day, we used, well, we still have a lot of fun in radio, 
But uh, we, we had an intern who's now with AT&T down in Dallas. His name is Chris Murphy. And Mike was oh, doing yeah. a show, and I was producing it. And Murph, who has a pretty good sense of humor, wrote an AP-style story that <laughs> the Cardinals— <laughs> that the Cardinals traded Ozzie Smith. For Dave Winfield. Exactly. I and I almost read it. We, I almost read it on the air. It was a Sunday afternoon, so after a ball game. And he comes in with this, and I'm reading it. And I'm kind of like looking at and you guys had this deadpan look on your faces like, yeah. It's just, and I'm about to start say, folks, I have some information here. And then all of a sudden you should have seen the look of panic on, on Murphy's face when I was about to read it. Uh, I'll never forget that. So well, he- You know what? Wasn't Mike Caruso there too? He was. That's right. Yeah. I think Caruso was there too. Yeah. And you know, when he always had that deadpan look about him, just because they were both very good practical jokers. Yeah. And Mike's saying, "Do I do I read this? Do I read this?" <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to ask, did they take it from your hands so that you didn't say it all they across the line? And Randy had, you know, how Randy's got this little smirk. Yes. It's called a blank eating grin. Yes. And once I saw him, I realized, that, okay, they may have me by both. They're pulling not one leg with both legs at that point. <laughs> uh, um, I'll never forget it. I'll something. never forget it. Well, Claves, uh, Ozzie Smith, Hall of Famer. The only baseball thing we can talk about on a positive note right now is potentially having Scott Rowland get into the Hall of Fame. Do you think that this is going to be his year? Well, I hope so. You know, when you look at the list, it's a good list, uh, excluding the people who are in question with regard to their PED use and some other issues. Um, you know, I, I got to think he's got to be near the top. I mean, there's there's not a lot to argue about against him. Uh, it, it's a very interesting list of guys that I really feel like this time around, you really had to see them play in order to appreciate how good they were. You know, uh, a lot of voters, you know, will look at these guys and look at the numbers, and their numbers are good. But I think if you watched how they play, and, and I think it's about Scott Rose, and I think about Andrew Jones, uh, Omar Vizquel is another guy that's out there. I mean, there's some guys that really you had to have eyes on to really appreciate their Hall of Fame candidacy. And, Klaibs, it seems to me, and, and I don't want to, I don't want to throw a blanket over every Hall of Fame voter, but it seems like they feel many times like they have to be the personal protector of the Hall of Fame. Jack Buck always said, yeah. I don't know why somebody would want to deprive somebody the pleasure of being in a Hall of Fame. Uh, Scott Rowland is good enough to be in a Hall of Fame. Why would anybody want to deprive him that pleasure? You know, what? that's a great point you make, Randy. And I think we have people who have taken this above and beyond serious where they feel like they're the gatekeepers and they have to maintain a certain standard when, you know, they have their own issues. Um, and, and I really would like to see them kind of change up the voting and how it's done. Uh, you know, you have some people who have elected not to vote for anyone. Yeah. That person should be, he shouldn't be part of it or she shouldn't be part of it. You know, if you don't, you know, you have to take it, take this, this opportunity with, with pride and respect. And if you don't feel like there are enough people that are worthy, then you're in the wrong club. Because we're voting on people who we think are or are not worthy. And I think that there are too many times people get too sanctimonious about this. And and along with this, I, I also feel like just because you have a vote doesn't mean that you really know what you, you know, because you go to numbers if you didn't see a person play. I think that if you are a voter, 
then if you actually covered those individuals, you actually covered them, then I think your vote should weigh more than somebody who just got a card because they're a member of the, the association. You know, I, I think that we've got a lot of people who didn't see a lot of these players play, but they go to the stats. And granted, sometimes the numbers don't lie uh, in, in certain cases. But I also think you have to realize the impact that players had in games and how they could turn a game around with a play at third or diving, mm-hmm. catching center field or things of that nature that, that the stats won't show you. So I, I really feel like the people who actually cover people, and you can document when your tour duty was taking place, you, your, your vote weighs more than somebody who just got a card and just got a vote two years ago who has no idea of who these players were other than what they do or what they read on Baseball Reference or some other website. Yeah, Clibs, I'm with you. The numbers don't lie oftentimes, but they oftentimes don't tell the entire story. And I always wonder if you were just looking at numbers and if you didn't see someone play, if you were to ask uh, the peers of a certain player or Mm -hmm. opposing managers, what was this person like? Were they a Hall of Famer? I mean, that's the people that I would certainly take into account what they had to say. That would weigh heavily for me. And I I don't wonder if you should put together some sort of panel where it includes other people who had different vantage points of a certain player's career, and that's how you determine if they're a Hall of Famer. Michelle, you are spot on. Ozzie Smith and I used to have this conversation about Lee Smith because I would always say, you know, Lee Smith should have been in a long time ago. And I remember Ozzie saying, you know, they ought to ask people who had to stand in the batter's box in the ninth inning when <laughs> Dusk was about to set in at Wrigley Field and Lee Smith was on the mound and you could barely see it coming out of his hand. They ought to talk to those people. They'll give you an idea on whether he's a Hall of Famer or not. And I agree with you. I think we should rely on players and people who actually saw and had to deal with that athlete. Uh, they, they got a better idea than any of us who didn't play or who didn't cover that, that particular player. Mike Claiborne with us on 101 ESPN. Georgia wins their first national championship since 1980 when Herschel Walker was a freshman. Mike, do you think that the Bulldogs should have won a national championship in the interim? Is that the sort of program that every 41 years, every 42 years isn't enough? You know, yeah. You know what? They they were good enough. They've always been good. They've been very good in certain years. But for one reason or another, either there was a team that was a hair better or they ran into some a misfortune of some some sort. Um, that, they've been a very consistent program. They, they've had very few what I would call down years. They've gone through a few coaches. You know, uh, you know the guy before them, Mark, uh, Mark Rick, was a pretty good coach. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, you you go back to Vince Dooley and what he was able to do for the program. And you know, you look at what Kirby Smart has done. You know, he's done a fantastic job of recruiting. He was a very good coach before he got to Georgia, and he's been able to maintain. And, you know, you think about playing in the state of Georgia, which turns out so many great athletes in various sports, you know, it's an unbelievable pressure that's on him. And for them to win, and I was I was picking Alabama. I was rooting for Alabama. Was, you know, anybody who knows me knows I'm a Bama fan. But I certainly tip my cap to what they were able to do because they took advantage of a couple of things. Uh, you know, when Williams went out of the game, that was a game changer right off the hop. They made a, a young man in Bryce Young do some things that he wasn't comfortable doing or wasn't used to doing, and they, they, they altered the game. And their defense stood up and did some things that they didn't do in the previous game, which is why they're national champions today. 
Clips, I wanted to ask you about the Blues. Uh, two impressive wins for the Blues. They're such a resilient team, and you really have to like this team as you think about their chances to contend for a Stanley Cup. But as we get closer to the deadline, do you think the Blues need to make a move or add another piece, maybe pick up another defenseman? What do you think? Well, you know what? It's another great question on your part. And here's the thing. There are three things in St. Louis that we all pay attention to. The baseball trade deadline on what we're going to do. The NHL first day of uh, the signing uh, free agency, what the Blues are going to do. And Blues trade deadline, it's always an either stay-at-home defenseman or somebody who can play point on the power play as a defenseman. <laughs> so here we are. And so the question is, and it's, it, I'm glad you brought it up because Chris Kerber and I were having this conversation yesterday, that the Blues have enough prospects in the organization that have shown the ability to play in the National Hockey League. And that's what COVID has done. It's kind of showcased everybody's organization, that they have enough prospects to make a move to get that defenseman that we all covered. So I, I think that, yes, that, that there should be some sort of movement. Because remember, every prospect isn't going to play for you. So what do you do with him? Do you use him as, as a career minor leaguer? Do you use him in a, in a role that maybe he's not going to succeed in? Or do you use him to make your team better? I think they have enough prospects to go out and make your team better. And because the Blues have a window that they're in now, and they've got to be able to maintain and be competitive at this point. Now, if they were going on the downside, then you just try and load up with prospects and try and build from there. But they're not in that position. They have to go for it now. So if they have the mortgage, some guy that's two years away, so be it. We wish him the best two years from now. And if he does a great job for some other organization, then hooray for him. But right now, you got to go for it. Right now, if you go to Claves Online on YouTube, there's a Lunch with Claves with Mike and Joe Roderick up. A lot of other great video for you to check out. And, Mike, it's, it's always fun to have you guys talking sports and having a good time. Well, you know, you know me, Randy, for a long time. I've, I've made a living at showing up looking to have a good time. <laughs> so uh, I will continue to do that. We're going to have Kevin Weeks tomorrow. He's seen a whole lot. Of, I talked to him for a while yesterday. He is all in on the Blues because he's had some games recently where he's watched them. And, you know, his relationship with Jordan Cairo's family is one that goes back to childhood. He and uh, Jordan's dad grew up together. <laughs> So he's all in on the blues right now. And so we'll have him coming up this week along with Hubba with Howard Richards put a wrap on the uh, college football season. And, and here come the playoffs. Will this be a fun weekend of pro football? I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm intrigued by Buffalo and, uh, and new England. Tell me this. Tell me if you agree, Mac Jones, no disrespect to Mac Jones had a really good rookie year. He's Chad Pennington. Wow, that's a good call. I mean, you know what? He He's a guy that is designed not to lose games. You know, and he mm-hmm. can be, you know, this guy can have a 10-year career just doing that. Now, as, as far as him winning games and pulling one out of his hat, we haven't seen that yet. But he's a game manager. And I, and I think that he's with the right organization because if you look around, you know, the, the Patriots have never had dynamic players other than Brady. And Brady was a guy that they found on a, on a scrap heap in, in, the, in the draft. But nobody knew what his potential was going to be. Matt Jones is that kind of guy who just finds a way to not lose games. So he'll be interesting to watch because by now, every coordinator's seen enough of him to know what he's good at and what he struggles with. 
So I'll be anxious to see what Buffalo comes up with on Sunday when they take on the Patriots. Claims, always great to hear your voice. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. And we'll talk to you next week. Looking forward to it. You guys have a great week. You too. Thanks. That is Mike Claiborne. Claiborne's online. Follow him on all the socials and on YouTube. Great material throughout the course of the week. Next up, we're going to talk where MLB stands with lack of negotiations with Jesse Rogers of ESPN next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Smallman, I'm Randy Carrick. That's There we go. That was Michelle. That's, that is Michelle. I'm Randy. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. And since the baseball lockout started on December 1st, the owners and the players have met zero times. Here to talk about why they aren't meeting is Jesse Rogers of ESPN. He joins us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. We always appreciate when you take your time with us. Jesse, thanks so much. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Good to talk to you guys again. What's happening? Well, let's start with this. Why the heck have these people gone almost six weeks without talking? Yeah, I mean, people are making a big deal out of that, and and, and they should. I, I mean, there's no games missed right now. Um, it, it don't worry too much about that uh, because they're not going to get anywhere even if they do talk right now. They These things need deadlines, so they need this thing to get closer to spring training for both sides to sort of get a little nervous and – maybe come up with something more reasonable to bring to the table. The bottom line is both sides are dug in. So until someone sort of comes up with something new, there is no reason to meet. And and so I'm not defending it. They should get it done as soon as they can, but it just feels like deadlines are needed in all sorts of contractual, you know, negotiations. And this is no different. And let's, let's put it this way. They would meet today if there was something new to meet about. So someone is going to have to get a little either nervous or reasonable or whatever as spring training approaches, and that's when they'll get something done. Now they will meet soon enough. They certainly will meet in the in the coming next couple you know next couple weeks as we approach sort of a soft deadline. So um, it's going to happen. That meeting is going to happen. Will they make progress? I think is the more important question. Jesse, I'm wondering why there isn't a sense of urgency, though, why this manufactured deadline needs to happen, because both sides, as you mentioned, are very dug in. There's a lot of ground that needs to get covered. And I would just think that given the history with both parties, they would want to start these conversations sooner rather than later. So why the lack of urgency here? Well, I think the owners would, would, would like to know the answer to that question. They had a deadline. It was called the end of the last CBA, December 1st. And they kind of feel like um, the, the players drag their feet. Of course, the players think that the league sort of dragged their feet in, 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 um, in, in their proposals because both sides have some things that are kind of the third rails of these negotiations. For example, the, the, the league doesn't want to really discuss um, free agency in, a, in a, you know, a change to free agency in a major, major way or change to arbitration in a major, major way. And so when that's brought up, it's kind of like, well, we have nothing to talk about. In the same token, um, the union, for example, won't discuss a hard salary cap. Now, to the league's credit, they've never offered a hard salary cap because they know that that's kind of the third rail. So it's just kind of this, yeah, I don't, I don't know in all nego- why deadlines are so needed, right? It's just this is what happens. Um, it, it goes all the way up until the 11th hour, just kind of how it works. Um, as paychecks, you know, have the potential of getting lost, 
that's when you see movement, that, can, that kind of thing. So I can't answer why. We all wish it would have happened uh, November 20th, 25th, October, July. They could have hammered this out. I mean, not like they didn't know this was coming. So I don't know exactly why. I just know that the history of this and any sort of major negotiation needs deadlines. Jesse Rogers of ESPN with us on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. And Jesse, if we include the fans in this, you've got the owners and the players and the fans. Players and fans are pretty consistent about wanting everybody to compete and to try to find a way to get tanking out of the game. Is there an avenue so that that would allow the players and the fans to get what they want and owners to stop tanking? Not completely. It's, it's, it's a fairy tale to think that's completely going to happen. Let, let's face it, ever since we were kids, we knew there were some teams that were not going to win it every spring training. We kind of knew that. So now that's turned into something different, though, and I think the trade deadline has, has played a part in it. You know, these teams that are just completely selling off, like the Cubs did, for example, this past year, and we see this throughout. That and the other and, – and, and, and the real argument for the, about the players – Look, they, they understand 30 teams can't compete every year, but they don't want to see 10 teams spending, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80 million dollars on payroll when, the, when, this, when the revenues are going through the roof. So it's really about payroll more than actual competing. They just sort of equate the two, right? It's easier to say, it's easier to win fans over to say, we want everybody competing than to say, we want every team spending money. You know, that's really what they're saying. So I don't think there's that you can do that, but there's ways to to stop the, the full-on tanking that we see. It's helpful. It would be helpful probably to re, redo the draft in a NBA style sort of lottery where it's not just the worst team that gets that top draft pick every every time. In fact, you know the most radical idea, of course, would would be to do it the opposite way. The best non-playoff team gets the number mm-hmm. one pick, and so on and so forth. So that would incentivize winning, but that's not really realistic either. So, um, look, the other, other way to do this would be to have a salary floor in a hard salary cap. That would force every team to compete, or excuse me, to spend money every offseason and at least compete enough to bring in decent players. You know, get your payroll over $100 million means bringing in some good players. So it's not just about, you know, 30 teams competing for the World Series every year. That is not realistic. Teams go through cycles. But it is about seeing teams spend a little bit more, and that's really what the players are asking for. Jesse, I want to circle back to the fans. We saw some empty seats in ballparks after the pan, uh, after fans were allowed back in during the pandemic. Baseball is constantly talking about how to freshen up the game, how to attract a younger audience. And this entire situation with the lockout has put a bad taste in a lot of fans' mouths. Is baseball concerned at all about the perception of the sport that's out there, especially when they're not talking and the stagnation continues? Well, if they miss games, yes. If they miss games, you really start to lose people for the entire season. I don't think they're too worried about it right now, um, but they may get there. And, yeah, I, I mean, in totality, the last couple years of labor strife certainly impacts people. I don't want to renew my season tickets. But here's the thing. If the game was healthy on the field, I don't think they'd be too concerned. But we know the game has issues on the field. And then now it has issues off the field. And I'm not sure it can survive the way they want it to survive. There's always going to be baseball, right? But will it survive? They want it to survive. And will it thrive the way, the way they want it to thrive if you combine these problems? But I think if they get the game healthy on the field, 
then they can survive these sort of moments. It's not like other sports don't have labor problems at, at different times. It's just you combine um, the problems on the field with the ones off the field, and now you've got a huge problem. Jesse Rogers covers uh, baseball for ESPN. He's based in Chicago. And, Jesse, a lot of people that might not remember or weren't paying attention right before the lockout, the Cubs started to stir a little bit with the signing of Stroman. They're being brought up as possibilities for Correa. Uh, how legitimate is that? And are the Cubs going to try to compete this year? Well, I think there's a couple ways to answer that. I mean, I think they want to compete more than they did last year, but that's not, you know, at the end of last year, but that's not a, a, a major task, right? They did. They had a triple-A team out there at the end of the year. So they want to be better. I think if you if they expand the postseason, I mean, I don't know if people are talking about this, but think about a, an executive's lens uh, that he looks through now. If they expand the postseason, a team like the Cubs who are kind of rebuilding a little bit, well, now they think, well, 80 to 82 wins might at least get us in the conversation. The Cubs could build an 80-win team. They just can't build a 90-win team this quickly, you know, build back up to that. So um, I think they'd love to compete if all things fall into place, but they're not really pushing their chips all in. And that's one reason I don't think they're going to throw $300 million at Carlos Correa. They certainly have not indicated that in any way pr- privately or publicly but if, if, if Correa comes to them and says, look, I, I love Chicago, um, I'm not hearing what, I, you know, he's not going to say this in these words, but I'm not hearing what I, what I like to hear out there. I think the Cubs would be interested in a five to eight year sort of deal, a little bit less, 200 instead of 300. You'd probably have to give them almost guaranteed three, I think two to three opt outs, you know, to get it. You got to give them that chance maybe after the second, third and fourth year to get out and and get a new free agent contract. So yeah, there, there's an avenue that they might sign a guy like him they, in a much smaller scale. They did that with Stroman. They gave him two opt-outs. The Cubs, I don't think, are interested in a Jason Hayward type of contract right now. Maybe if Carlos Correa was the final piece to some big rebuild, maybe. Um, though I, I don't see why he can't be the first piece to rebuild. He's 27 years old. Uh, but I'm just not sure they're ready to commit that. So let's just put it that way. They're a big market team that would love to compete a little bit more than they did last year, especially with expanded playoffs. And there's different ways to do that. They're just not willing to push their chips all in. Jesse Rogers, you always provide us with great information. Thanks so much for the time. We do appreciate it. And hopefully we'll get to see you down in spring training. That'd be great. Take care. You too. Thank you. Jesse Rogers, ESPN with us on 101 ESPN. Next up, the national championship last night won by Georgia over Alabama. What's this mean for the future in the SEC that, Now, Nick Saban has lost to former assistants twice. It's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Georgia beats Alabama in the national championship game last night. The final score was 33 to 18, a late pick six for the Bulldogs. And Michelle, it was not a dominant season by any stretch of the imagination for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Obviously, they did lose that game to A&M, and that was the first time a former Nick Saban assistant had ever beaten him in a game, Jimbo Fisher, and that game was 41-38. But when you look at what they did down the stretch, uh, they lost in over, or they beat 
uh, Auburn in overtime, four overtimes, as a matter of fact. They only beat Arkansas by a touchdown late. They only beat LSU 20 to 14. They were, as we mentioned, losers to AM. I wonder if this year the lack of dominance by Alabama is something that is a precursor to what we're going to see down uh, in future years. We're saying lack of dominance, but they still found ways to win all of those and, games. And they were in the national championship game. And they were in game. the national championship game, and they were without Mechie, and then they lost Jamison Williams during yeah. the game. So it's, it's just so funny to me because we compare Alabama to Alabama. The mm-hmm. standard is what they have done in the past, not any other team on the college football landscape. Yes, Kirby Smart has assembled an incredible team at Georgia, and I'm sure that he can reload and have them in the conversation. Just like we said about Dabo and Clemson, there's there's team. We said that about LSU under Coach O, and then look what happened. A year and a half later, he's without a job. But I just think it's very interesting that the standard that we hold Alabama to is almost unrealistic because it's their own standard. We're saying that they weren't dominant, yet all those games we talked about they were finding ways to win and they were in this game last night without two of their massive star players Bryce Young can only do so much right and the reason the question is asked is because they used to dominate all those teams and the SEC has done a great job I mean Jimbo Fisher's getting 10 million dollars a year you look at what Ole Miss has done bringing in Lane Kiffin you look at Auburn making the change for Brian Harson, LSU they weren't dominant enough after winning a championship a couple of years ago so they decided to make a coaching change everybody is trying to catch Alabama and is spending money and resources to catch the Crimson Tide I would tend to come down on the side that you do though that last night was the aberration if Alabama has their team then they are going to be more competitive than they were last night and by the way it was competitive until the final minute absolutely but competitive being Jamison Williams is in there to score touchdowns Mechie is in there to score touchdowns this was a really unusual year at the running back position for whatever reason for Alabama Brian Robinson was the only running back they had I mean they've had Najee Harris they've had Damian Harris Harris they've had Derrick Henry they've had so many great running backs over the years and this is the first time they didn't really have a Heisman quality first round draft choice quality running back but Kirby Smart learned how to build a program from Nick Saban and Tim Tebow who also had some success in the SEC says this might not be the last time we see Georgia in this spot Georgia has always been a a great university with so much talent. It is a hotbed for talent. They've always had so much talent, but they've never won the big game. In my lifetime, they've never been able to get over that hump. I think with the win last night for Georgia, they went from hope to belief. It went from, oh, maybe we can do it to maybe we can do it every year or every other year. I think this program, what Kirby Smart is building, is going to be a contender for the next 10 years. I really believe that that he is he is building something that is sustainable with all the recruits that they're bringing in, with the way that their team loves him, with the way that they love each other. I think it's building something special, and I think a, a sleeping giant was awakened. It, the the giant has been there. He's right. It just was getting over the hump. It was Georgia fans saying oh, next year. It was it was kind of a St. Louis Blues thing where you just as a Georgia fan assumed that something would happen where you would never get the win. And it was amazing to see them finally break through last night. But Kirby Smart knows how to recruit. As Tim Tebow said, we've talked about it on the show earlier today, Randy. There's a lot of talent in the state of Georgia, and Kirby Smart has figured out a way to get a lot of these 
four and five star guys to come to Georgia. And what I think I'm most impressed about in this win last night for Georgia is the way that Kirby Smart was able to look at the SEC championship game and figure out a way to win. Mm Mm-hmm. Because we talked about this yesterday, and I thought the opposite was going to happen, that even despite Alabama having the victory, that given more time to prepare and knowing the path to victory, that Nick Saban would outcoach him. But the fact that he was able to study the tape and figure out what they had done wrong in that game in a way to exploit Alabama shows what a good coach he is. I do think, though, and I know you agree with me, the loss of Jamison Williams cannot be understated. Of course not. Because he was the dominant factor in the SEC championship game with the 60-yard touchdown pass from Young, and he was a difference maker. Now, normally, when you're Alabama, you can plug a couple of other four- and five-star guys in there when you lose receivers. But keep this in mind. You, you'd already lost Mechie. The year before, you had lost... It was Ruggs and Judy, and then the year you, you lost two more first-round draft-choice wide receivers juniors the year before at some point you're going to have to get better production from your guys jameson williams was a transfer and they need better production from their freshman wide receivers which they've received in the past Devonte smith and waddle were the last two by the way what would this conversation look like if they had a healthy healthy williams and mechie i think they win the game i think they win the game and i think we're talking about the scores and some of these other close games even though alabama won being completely yeah. different if you have weapons like i mean they had williams most of the season but if you have mechie and williams out there last night it's a different conversation altogether and i do not disagree at all with tim tebow and where georgia is and to localize this as michelle would say as Mizzou fans, we need to read the room. Mizzou is going to be what they're going to be. They are beating Georgia anytime in the near future for an SEC East championship. It's going to take a while to build a program, but yeah. look at what Kirby Smart has done with recruiting and look at the class that Eli Drinkwitz just turned in. He's on the path to doing it. It's going to take a while to build it, but if he can continue to get the Luther burdens of the world mm-hmm. to want to come to Mizzou, that's how you do it. And by the way, Mizzou, if you didn't see, was able out of the transfer portal to get a four-star cornerback that had gone to Texas A&M and played a year there last year. So Mizzou utilizing the the transfer portal, but you lose a guy like Makai Wingo. Again, we we talked last week about when Robert Steeples went to uh, LSU, how Brian Kelly was probably looking at DeSmet. I didn't know he was looking at Mizzou to get Robert Steeple's former high school coach and take Makai Wingo away, but LSU apparently is getting Makai Wingo, a defensive lineman who was probably the best tackle that Mizzou had this past season. So what Drink needs to do is get into that transfer portal and get some big guys. Because one thing we saw last night, and we see it every single year in the SEC, and Drink knows this, it's a league of big men, and it's a league of winning in the trenches. And Mizzou just doesn't have enough weaponry in the trenches right now to be able to compete with those schools. Speaking of the SEC, we have all of these programs outside the SEC and in the SEC throwing tens of millions, sometimes $100 million at coaches trying to elevate their program. And yet we have two SEC teams playing again in the national championship. And it doesn't seem like that's going to change anytime soon. And it's I, – I was – thinking about yesterday oh could that be boring it's just the sec again but then we have a game like we have last mm-hmm. night with the lead changes and it's it's entertaining but it just feels like the sec is going to remain at the top of the mountain for quite some time regardless of the lincoln riley's of the world the coaches that you're going to attract at different programs hopefully they can get it done but it's big boy football it's the yep. sec and i i just don't see a changing of the guard anytime soon and it's unbelievable that a team like a program like clemson 
fell off this year. Granted, you lose Trevor Lawrence, but they lost a lot of big guys, too, and they didn't have them this year. And Ohio State loses one game. They lose that game to Michigan. Otherwise, Ohio State's probably in this Final Four, and then that's a different animal altogether. But when you only have four teams and you're paying your coach $95, $100 million, you better win some games. Andrew? Do we think Lincoln Riley can actually get it done at USC? Think about all the quarterbacks that he had at OU, and just they never could get over the hump. But at USC, you'll be able to get defensive talent out of California, big guys that can play. And one of the great things about the history of USC is that they have a great history on both sides of the line of scrimmage among offensive, especially offensive tackles, but offensive and defensive linemen. I I believe Lincoln Riley will be better at USC than he was at Oklahoma. Agreed. I, I think that his first charge is to keep those California kids in California. Yeah. And I was listening to a lot of stuff about what the state of USC was before they went out and unloaded the Brink truck for Lincoln Riley. And part of the thing that was so frustrating to alums and fans there was that the California kids weren't choosing USC. It used to just be a given. Other programs wouldn't even recruit Southern California and all of that talent there because they just knew those kids were going to want to go to USC. And they had come in and and made their mark. And Lincoln Riley, hopefully, with the recruiting job that he's able to do, will keep those kids there. And that'll put them in a better position. But how long is it going to take him to get that done for him to really be on the same level that because there's a big difference between being a team in the top 25 and being a playoff team and there's a huge disparity between being a playoff team and a team that can actually contend for a national championship so how long is it going to take him to get to that level is the question probably three years i would think that's what third year that's what pete carroll did by the way cj stroud the freshman quarterback for ohio state and uh bryce young are both within an hour's drive of the USC campus. So you talk about California kids. Those are two kids that USC should have gotten Mm -hmm. and didn't. And so I would think that Lincoln Riley will get those guys. When you develop first picks in the draft, like Murray and like Mayfield, quarterbacks are going to want to come and play for you. Also, shout out to fans of Georgia teams. The Braves finally break through. Mm-hmm. The Georgia Bulldogs break through. These are this is a fan base that has been through a lot for a long time. This has been an unbelievable six month stretch for them. Anthony Stalter, enjoy it, <laughs> because your Falcons are on the way. Really? Well, maybe not. <laughs> That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. The guy with the deep voice mentioned that the Kraken are in town on Thursday. I've heard, Michelle, that the folks in Seattle really, really, really like hockey, and they have become addicted to Kraken. Randy, <laughs> how long have you had that one in your back pocket? About 10 seconds. Okay, I, like I appreciate the creativity. And Michelle's going to be at Copper Fire in Belleville Saturday from 4 to 6. Come out before the game and enjoy 16 drought taps, all served ice cold. Specialty slushies, including the new... Gloria cocktail slushy. Pretty delicious. All happening Saturday from 4 to 6 with Michelle at Copperfire. Get more details at 101ESPN.com. It is time for 
You're killing me, Smalls. Randy, we know the San Francisco 49ers had a big win over the L.A. Rams at SoFi Stadium to punch their ticket to the postseason. And you and I were watching the game. We were messaging. A lot of red in those stands. Mm -hmm. And the 49ers faithful was very loud. Well, Debo Samuel, after the game, had an interesting theory. He said in his post-game press conference that that game felt like a home game for the Niners at SoFi. He said, quote, I feel like the Rams pump noise in because there weren't many Rams fans there. What do you think about this theory? I would not be at all surprised. As a matter of fact, when the same administration, the same leadership was here in St. Louis at our dome, they pumped in crowd noise. So to have them do it in L.A. would not be a surprise. And when you have a crowd that is overwhelmed by opposition fans, you're probably going to try to do something to make up for your lack of volume. And that's how you do it. Hmm. That's against the rules, by the way. Sad. Yeah, hashtag sad. That would have never happened in St. Louis. Now, we had a lot of instances where Bears fans or Cowboys fans or Chiefs fans would overwhelm the Dome after the Rams got bad. But in your last home game, when you have a really good team, no, that that would never happen in St. Louis. During the greatest show on turf, 99, 2001, 02, 03, 04, during those half dozen years, there's no way that another team's fans would overrun our building and our people would get rid of their, their tickets. You wouldn't want your quarterback after the game saying that it was uh, a bad environment. No, no, that, that it was a real challenge, challenge for us. Yeah, that's bad. Yeah, not good. You're killing me, Smalls. So we love the Manning cast. We talk about the Manning cast any chance that we get here on Character and Smallman. But if you're a an active NFL player, you might not love the Manning cast or at least want to go on it. Because, Randy, the Manning cast curse that allegedly exists out there actually finished the season undefeated. So Yahoo Sports put this together. They have a great outline of this. But every single active NFL player who appeared on the Manning cast lost the following week. Oh, man. So week one, Travis Kelsey was on the Chiefs. Chiefs lost to the Ravens in week two. Russell Wilson was on. The Seahawks lost to the Titans in week two. Gronk was on. Then the Bucks lost to the Rams. Matthew Stafford was on, and then the Rams lost to the Cardinals. Tom Brady was on, and then you remember the Buccaneers lost to the Saints in week eight. Josh Allen came on the Manning cast. The Bills lost to the Jags. And then week 17, Aaron Rodgers was the last one. The Packers losing to the Lions in week 18. If you're a player, you cannot go on. Now, they're going to have a Manning cast on Monday night for teams that win on Sunday. If you're in the playoffs, there's no chance that a coach is going to allow a player to go on the Manning cast because this is obviously real. And science is once again stepping to the fore. You already have enough challenges to overcome Mm -hmm. if you're an NFL team. Why add a curse to the list? Which is kind of an amazing curse because they are nice guys. Who's got a problem with the Mannings? Why would anybody put that evil on those two? Yeah, that's a good question. Maybe it's it's Patriots fans who are upset about those two giant Super Bowls. They're mad at Eli. But they've gotten enough in their day. I don't know why they would target Eli, but who's put the bad juju on them? That's a good question. I don't know that people that are associated with the Patriots, well, yeah, maybe they do have that much juice. I don't know. I don't think they have that much juice. You wouldn't think so. And why would they put the effort and energy into having the Packers lose to the Lions? Right, that doesn't make any Who sense cares? at all. Right, they're looking ahead. They want to try to get Buffalo or something, right? Right, right, so they're not the culprit. It's not them. Yeah, somebody, somebody somewhere is upset, though, with the Mannings.
I wonder what they did to upset the football gods. What did they do is the real question. Well, they saved the world. Eli saved the world twice. So it's not him. So what did Peyton do? Well, he's question. driving this bus, obviously. Maybe it's a spin zone. Maybe every player that goes on there, they continue to lose to the Mannings. Oh. It mm, could be. Uh, I okay, see. So the Manning, instead of these players losing the following week, it's the Mannings getting another W because they get them on the show. Yeah, and then, okay. Okay, okay. I could buy that. But I don't know. Uh, but I'm not going on there if I'm oh, if I'm an active player. No way. That's a pretty hard record to overcome. For sure. You're killing me, Small. So everyone's been talking about actually the Black Friday fi- or excuse me the Black Monday firings were probably the best thing for the LA Chargers. If you're Brandon Staley, you're probably so glad that the news cycle happened on Monday because people aren't talking about the timeout heard around the world and the loss that the Chargers had to the hands of the Las Vegas Raiders. But Rex Ryan was talking about it on Get Up, and he says that it's a shame Justin Herbert isn't going to be in the playoffs. That we as fans are suffering. We're being robbed as NFL fans that so we don't get to see Justin Herbert in the playoffs. Who robbed us? Uh, the the guy with the – well, you know who it was? The dude with the little small hat. hat. Little hat. <laughs> little hat right there that has no clue. We talked about oh, – I'm going to – this is what he's done all year. Yeah, exactly. The, this guy coaches like he's a Division three coach that nobody cares about. All right? It's hard not to make uh, the playoffs with a franchise quarterback. But congratulations, you did it. How he faces his football team after this one is incredible to me. Look, the Raiders were content. They were going to take the tie. Mm-hmm. They absolutely were going to take time. But homeboy said, time out. What? <laughs> no, what? Homeboy. homeboy. What? Homeboy. Time out. You're brilliant with those timeouts. You got a way better football team than you got beat by, and you lost. You're at home. I, I, I just think it's it's – ridiculous and and here's the thing people praise him i'm old school rich you're old school this guy gets it yeah this this dude i mean he, he, he has no idea he's got no experience he got nothing and to me you you inherited a team all right you, you know you were born on third base think you hit a triple that's this cat right here <laughs> Not holding back at all. He says, congratulations, you did it, saying that it was hard to lose or not make it to the playoffs with a franchise quarterback. And then you think you were born on third base and you think you hit a triple. And he called him Little Hat. Rex sounds like a guy who's jealous that somebody has an NFL head coaching job and that he wasted his opportunity. I don't know. Opportunities. You know what he sounds like to me is a fan. He sounds like what we were all thinking watching that game. Like, what just happened? What are you doing? How many people were saying things like that at home on their couch? That's that's what I appreciate from Rex Ryan is that he's not holding back. No, he's not. But he is a former NFL head coach who has a track record. We watched how often his teams screwed up, how many penalties they committed in big games. And because of that, if anybody should be not calling a head coach in the NFL clueless, it should be him. Uh, maybe what you do is you go get a, a blank and blank and snack or something. But to me, if you're in that group of people, you're in that fraternity, you shouldn't be calling a guy clueless because you've shown you're clueless a lot of times. There's a reason that you're on TV. He did make it to uh, the playoffs, though, which is more he, than he can say from for Brandon Staley. Well, this was Brandon Staley's first year. I'll bet you Brandon Staley winds up in the playoffs more than Rex Ryan does. Okay. Did. How many times has Rex Ryan been in the playoffs? Two. That's it, huh? Yeah. AFC Championship games? Yeah. Jets? Yep, first two years. Yep. 
So his record in the playoffs, though, is four and two. So that's pretty good. So thanks, Michelle. You got it. And thank you for tuning in. Coming up, what's on tap? Coming your way on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Character headed down the stretch here. You've got the balloon party with Tim McKernan coming up at the top of the hour. Michelle Cardinal spring training single game tickets went on stale Saturday. Love spring training. Love the Cardinals. But I can't believe that I, I know, for example, that I would not buy single game spring training tickets right now under the current circumstances. No, I would wait until baseball got their act together. Until I knew that there was going to be a game, right? Yeah, right. But if you want to get Cardinal spring training tickets, you can. <laughs> All you need to do is go to cardinals.com slash spring training, and uh, you can get spring training tickets. Just go to their website, cardinals.com. This is so annoying that baseball is doing this for so many reasons, but think about how many people that this impacts that they're not even considering. The the people who are trying to sell tickets, the people in Florida who are who bank on that revenue from spring training, from people coming in all the time, people who want to plan spring training trips, if it's a tradition that they do with their families or whatever. There's just a lot of ripple effects to baseball dragging mm-hmm. their feet and getting these negotiations completed that I don't even think they realize or probably care about. And the Cardinals and Joe Strom and the ticket staff, they're trying to work around it. There's nothing yeah, they can do. Of course not, yeah. So basically the people that are working for teams are victimized by the people that should be sitting in a room negotiating that aren't i'm telling you what reading the piece that jesse rogers and and jeff passan did last night in preparation for our interview with jesse today i got so angry reading that Mm -hmm. and i know when when we spoke to jesse he was a little bit more measured than i think the average fan is because he was talking about the deadline and how he knows that things will start to ramp up once the deadline is there what about december 1st being the deadline why is the actual deadline not the deadline for these people? I don't. Do they really think by prolonging this that it's going to shift either side's position that much more? What's probably going to happen is what would happen now or mm-hmm. if you did it back in December and you could have avoided this entire mess. And as Jesse Rogers said, they haven't missed games yet, but they've missed out on, a, on an opportunity for goodwill because baseball doesn't have much goodwill among the sports fan right now. No. And if they would have just kept things going, they could have at least maintained a level of goodwill. One other thing, Michelle, you know that one of the highlights of my life was working for the Cardinals as an usher back yeah. in the early 80s during my college days. And the Cardinals accepting applications for usher and event attendant positions for the 2022 season, looking for people like me, friendly, outgoing people who have a passion for providing exceptional guest service, except for the guy that tried to steal Lonnie Smith's hat. But uh, yeah, you, you can uh, just go to cardinals.com slash work at Bush. And it really was a great job, and it still is a great job. I know a lot of the ushers there. I talked to them. I had an opportunity to speak to the group a few years ago. Cool. And so if you have the time and the inclination and you're a baseball fan, that's a cool job to have. Cardinals.com slash work at Bush. Yeah, I can't imagine that it would be a bad day at the office if your office is Bush Stadium. No, it was, it was a pretty cool thing. Pretty cool gig. And the Blues are always doing great things in the community as well. The Blues and Bally teaming up for their 15th anniversary blood drive January 20th. So make sure that if you have some blood, you donate it. Well, everybody has blood. Yeah, but some's better than others right 
Well, I guess it depends on what you're looking for. Like what type? If you needed a blood transfusion and they said, Michelle, we've got some blood for you, but Stan Kroenke donated it. Uh, ooh, that's de- well, Randy. I I Devil don't want, blood. but I don't want to die if I need the blood transfusion. I would just say, don't tell me. Can you imagine, <laughs> Randy, if you needed a blood transfusion and it was Stan Kroenke? Yeah. Or what if you needed a kidney or a bone oh. marrow and the only match is Stan Kroenke? Would you take it? I'd say no, I'm good. <laughs> no, you would not. You would not I'm, say I'm, no. I'm, I'm good. That's going to be a no for me, dog. That's not what you're going to say. <laughs> That's not what you're going to say. But can you imagine that would be? A, a real choice there to make. Do you take the donor? The donor will be actually, very difficult. This is a scenario you're never gonna have to worry about because mm-hmm. Stan Kroenke would never sign up for one of those. He'd never donate anything. Yeah, he'd That's never right. donate anything. So we won't have to worry about it. But that would be a tough decision. Yeah. So learn more about the Blues and Valley <laughs> 15th anniversary blood drive, January 20th, and you can learn more at stlblues.com. Michelle, in terms of the least surprising story of the day, Antonio Brown shows up in L.A. Yes. To visit with his buddy Kanye West. I thought he was just yay now. Is he just yay? I thought I, I, don't I thought he up. pulled a Puff Daddy and he went from Puffy to P. Diddy. I think he's yay now. Okay. I need to get up to speed with yay. I think so. But Kanye West. And so A.B. spoke a. B. to- A.B. and yay? A.B. and yay. Yeah. <laughs> spoke to photographers and was A.B. was asked about leaving the field at MetLife Stadium shirtless and he said it probably wasn't necessary or professional. <laughs> you think? <laughs> That's what he said. Yeah. Was he laughing? Was it sarcastic? He was smiling the entire time, yeah. Okay, yeah, because that doesn't seem like he uh, really feels badly about it. So I would imagine there might be a hint of sarcasm. I need to watch the video or hear, hear what he sounds like. But uh, take it or leave it, Randy. A.B. actually wants attention more than Kanye or Ye does i'm actually michelle gonna take that i'm gonna take that because i believe well he's done like 10 podcasts since he left the field right if a podcast calls yay up he probably says no i'm in my studio no he's too busy trying to win kim back i think well that might be yeah but he is not yay is not going to go on all kinds of podcasts and talk about what happened and why he did it once right when he yeah tmz yeah and he went on Leno, right? Was it Leno and or, or uh, Conan, whatever it was, after the whole Taylor Swift thing? Oh yes, yes and yes. talked about his mom. Right. I'm gonna let you finish, but yeah, Beyonce had the greatest yeah. album. Yeah. But he's not an explainer of his antics. AB tries to be an explainer and makes himself quite visible. So yeah, I think that AB, to answer your question, is much more of an attention hound than Ye. Those two together, it's like an explosion of attention. I would love. Here we are giving it to them. Just to sit with them at the table, not say a word at Craig's, which is where they met in L.A. Mm -hmm. I'd just like to listen to that conversation, kind of find out what's on their mind. What do you think they talk about those two? They probably talked about A.B. running off the field, and they probably talked about, yay, uh, dropping albums with, uh, you know, no pre-sell and what put, didn't he put all his picture up on buildings like one time when he dropped an album? Didn't he? Didn't he put a big projection of himself up on buildings? He's a nut. They had to have talked about like the universe and the cosmos and oh yeah. Oh, you think AB is going to get that deep and talk about the universe? Come I don't on. know. He's talking about the the girl that snuck into his room that licked the toilet bowl for or what COVID. a bad guy Brady is. Well, do you think Ye cares about Brady? What are they going to talk about? Everybody t- talks about Tom Brady. Everybody. That's. Probably fair.
Even Ye talks about Brady. Yeah. And I would think that as A.B. talks about his relationship with Brady, Ye probably talks about Kim. You know what I think that they talked about? I bet that they just talked about... How can we get more attention? We're at Craig's, yeah. which is the biggest celebrity hotspot. Should we call up TMZ? Should we tweet this out? How can we get more eyeballs on us? I bet that's what their conversation would, was like. I would think so. All right. This has been fun. Great job by our producer engineer, the one and only Andrew Marsh. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. And Michelle, this was great. We'll do it again tomorrow. I will see you on hump day. Uh, we appreciate you tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show for all of us until tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, Confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.